We welcome you to another live edition of the Sports Box, brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And by our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and check them out at www.crowdplayapp.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Hey everybody, welcome to Cage My IQ. As always, I'm your host, D-Bake. Join with me today, as always, Miles Long. Yo. After being away for a little while, welcome back, Sam. What's up, guys? Hi, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Today, today we will be uh, recapping UFC Vegas 29, which was headlined by the Korean Zombie going up against Dan Ige. Oh, yeah. What a, what a, what a main card uh, with some good knockouts. Uh, what did you guys think of this card uh, on Saturday? I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely better than expected. Given like when I looked at the card initially, I was like, I don't know, like half of these people. Now the other nice thing is you could pronounce most of the names. I didn't have as much <laughs> trouble with the names this time around, so I did like that. But uh, no, very exciting card. Definitely a but, good card. Uh, yep. But before we go into uh, today's episode. As always, this is KJYQ, the best place for MMA content. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch at the handles to the left. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we're shooting for 200 subs right now since we're at 116. Woo. And then we, we come out with the preview and recap videos as well as interviews. So if you, if you love MMA, go to our page, check it out, let us know what you think. And then we got a couple of sponsors to let you guys know about. As always, first one is 99Jersey. Use promo code SportsBoxShow20 at checkout to receive 20% off your next purchase. Then we got Odds Jam. Odds Jam. Go to the link in the bio so you never miss a bet again. All you got to do is sign up. You go on. They, they let you choose from five or six different uh, sites to find the best odds around for whatever bet you want to make you choose it and more than likely you'll never lose a bet again as long as you go with odds jam so once again go to the link in our bios and then sign up so you can make the right bet and then lastly we got high tide herbal use promo code cage my iq 10 at checkout to receive 10 percent off your next purchase this is a company owned by two athletes slash coaches that made the company and products uh, to help uh, athletes recover faster. All the products are used with CBD oil. They pride themselves on helping out athletes, like I said. So if you're one of those people uh, looking to use products like that, go to hightidehomeboard.com. Use promo code CAGEMYIQ10 at checkout so you receive 10% off your next purchase. Now, before we get into this recap today, and Miles wanted to uh, do a recap of episode three of Tough and, uh, of the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. Uh, let's let's know about the recap. Uh, this one was pretty straightforward. This episode was really just all about the fighters, not too much drama yeah. or anything. So it was just straight to the point. This week we saw a matchup with Trayshawn Gore from Team Ortega versus. Ryder Rhino Newman, try to say that five times fast, and he was uh, Team Volkanovsky. Now, 
like I said, the, the episode mostly focused on these individual fighters and like the training they did in the camp to prepare for this. And there was like one weird thing that I'll talk about here in a sec, but let me give you the, their yeah. backgrounds because it helps to kind of contextualize the weird thing I saw. So Ryder, he's a decorated wrestler. I think he started in high school, went all the way up through col uh, col college. So he's like a collegiate wrestler, trains out of Extreme Couture with Jake Shields and Brad Tavares as training partners. Um, yeah. he's, a, he's a big dude, even for like a middleweight. He's fucking massive. So he's got a lot of natural power behind his striking. And you can tell he's not like the worst striker. He's got technique. He understands how to throw the punches. You know what I mean? It's just I think he definitely focuses more on the wrestling aspect. And there's only so many hours you can spend in training. So you got to eventually just allocate, right? So he, right now he has a, well, before this fight, he had a three-in-one record. Uh, yeah. Treshawn started his training out of Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Uh, sounded like when he was a teenager, it wasn't super specific on the beginning point, but now he's a purple belt. Um, and in the ring, he tends to focus a lot more on his striking. I think most, if not all of his, not of his wins have come by knockout. Um, he's got a three and O record. Uh, right now he trains out of American top team trains with Diego Lima. So he's got a very kind of Muay Thai style to him and you can, you can tell it really shows and it complements well with his natural power. Again, another big beefy guy right now throughout this entire lead up to this fight in this episode, they were trying to frame this as like the grappler versus the striker. But like that's bullshit. Like it's just that's not the case because these guys were so fucking close. It was almost dead even. Like even the tail of the take was fucking so close. Uh, I think Ryder was twenty five, Gore's twenty six. There was like a, a one pound difference. I think. Uh, uh, I think Gore came in at one eighty six instead of one eighty five. The reach is like two inches, maybe. I think it was actually probably closer to an inch, inch and a half, something like that. I mean. The, the the stats, the physicality, and their resumes, even though their grappling experience is different, it's comparable. Like a, a blue, a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu takes a while. It's the thing that Gore's been doing the longest anyway. So like trying to pretend like one of these guys is, oh, he's just all striking, and this guy's all grappling. So if the grappler gets a striker to the ground, well, then he's helpless. He can't do shit. But it's like, no, he's, he's got the jiu-jitsu. He'll be fine. He knows what he's doing. And that's kind of what happened here is like they built up this this, you know, skills deficit matchup. But the 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 winner was the guy who went first and it was Treshawn in the stand up. He was being more aggressive. He was initiating. He was getting in there, getting the better end of the uh, the striking exchanges. While Newman, he wasn't like terrible at striking. But the thing that yeah. was holding him back is he was looking for uh, openings to do his takedowns instead of creating openings. And there's a big difference there. When you're looking for openings, it's like playing the counteroffensive game. You're very hesitant. You're working off your back foot. You're waking, waiting for the other person to make a mistake and feed you an opportunity. When in reality, in this game, because Gore, from the very onset, before the fight ever started, like when they were doing the weigh and he like got right the fuck up in, in Ryder Newman's face to let him know like, hey, I'm going to be super aggressive when we get in the fucking ring. So that should have tipped him off like, oh, I can't just play the counteroffensive. I can't just wait. I've got to go in and create opportunities. I got to be using my punches to set up takedown attempts because if I can get him thinking about the hands and he's not thinking about the legs, increasing my chances of landing one of those big double legs he's so proud of. But he didn't do that. So Treshawn pretty much took the first. It was a 
fucking blowout. I think Newman had a takedown attempt in like the last 30 seconds and he got Trayshawn up against the cage, but it's like, you don't have enough time to work that, you know, especially given the fact that Trayshawn does have grappling experience. So he can at least stall out, you know, get, keep himself from being taken down at the very least and, you know, make it to the end. Um, then the second round, Newman was a little more aggressive, but he was more aggressive in the striking. He wasn't bringing it all together and putting the striking in as a, as a way of creating opportunities for the takedown. So it was pretty much the same story. It ended up being a, a, just a two-round uh, decision victory for John. Pretty straightforward why. Um, and there was a there was a point in the second round where there was actually a bit of like wrestling, and you could tell Trayshawn wasn't lost. So again, I'm like trying to wonder why the fuck were they framing it this way? Maybe it's a marketing thing, but it has to be anybody yeah, watching was like, dude, come on. <laughs> if you're paying a little bit of attention. You know, you know that's what it's always gonna be. They're always gonna be like, right. let's get a wrestler and put him against a striker, right. because that's what people want to see. They want to see the contrasted styles. Right. And then push that out there, and then winds up it, it winds up happening. But then sometimes it winds up being flipped, where like right. you do it that way, and then the striker winds up doing better uh, grappling anyway. So, right. and I, uh, I feel like that was probably Dana White's call. Like I feel like he thought, oh, we can sell this better then these guys are really fucking close. And I mean yeah. really close. They are a hair's breadth away when it comes to grappling and striking. They are very, very even. Um, I feel like he maybe would have had a harder time selling that sort of matchup. So maybe it was his call, and then the producers made everybody else kind of go along with it. So, But either way, um, now Team Ortega is leading 3-1. to one. Fucking every matchup so far, they've just not only won, but fucking dominated, man. Like, they're doing really, really well. So whatever he's doing, uh, he's he's doing a great job coaching and teaching. Also, he's got some really good coaches over there. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. Andrew <laughs> Gracie's actually his jiu-jitsu yeah, coach. Yeah, yeah. One of the best jiu-jitsu wow. coaches on the planet. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a reason why they're really fucking good at wrestling and shit. Yeah. Even just beyond their own experiences. So we, next we week, just go ahead. We just look at episode one, and then right oh, off the dude. bat, you knew <laughs> from the bat what was going to happen, yeah. and with how meticulous Brian Ortega was, he wants to be everywhere. He wants to yeah. tell him, do this, do this. He was like, I seen you do this. I want you to do this now. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. where Volkanovski was kind of like, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Not explain why, just you need to do this because I think he's going to do that, and then. He, right. moved, he would move on. So he was just like expecting the fighters to know what he's talking about, where Otega was telling them why and then showing them. Right, and, right. And then, of course, he has a coaching background on top of that. So, you know, yeah. it comes first nature for Otega. Yeah, I mean, this is something I brought up in the in the last weeks as well. You're right. It, yeah. it, Ortega is definitely the more responsive teacher. He's really looking at okay, what are my fighters' skills? Where are they? What are they good at? Where are they deficient? And then like, where can we kind of build? And then he takes that and makes a game plan based on that knowledge. Whereas Volkanovski kind of works the other way. He's more like. All right, you should just already be good at all the things. So here's how you're going to win. Regardless if they can do it or not, he just tells them how to win. And they're like, okay. But to be fair, the first fight, Aaron Phillips was never going to win that fucking fight. The dude was like, most of my training was from YouTube videos. I was like, oh, fuck, he's about to lose real bad. But, you know, he's from Alaska. There's no gyms in fucking Alaska. So, you know, that's unfortunately, that's like a geographic thing. He It's very difficult to overcome. But 
What's interesting is that in the second matchup where you had a language barrier on Team Ortega, uh, uh, Ludwig, he's a uh, Ukrainian. Well, he's Armenian, but he speaks, I think, both Armenian and uh, Ukrainian. So he's not great at English. And you can tell. They were saying, like, when the, there was this, this scene where the coaches were trying to talk to him, and they're like, are you excited? What do you think? Like, how do you feel about the matchup? And he was like, is school is good fight. I feel good. Yes. <laughs> like, he just wasn't good at the language, but even then yeah. Ortega was still able to coach him and like say, Hey, this is what you need to work on. Here's how you need to work on it. These are the things I want you to do in the cage and stuff like that. So even with the language barrier, I feel like if, if Volkanovsky had that language barrier, they would have just, that would not have gone. Well. <laughs> he would just been like yelling in Australian at this guy <laughs> to try to get him to do the thing. And it was just like, I don't know what you're saying, but. Yeah. Anyway, definitely a big contrast in the coaching styles. But next week we've got uh, Dustin Lampros from Team Volkanovski against Vincent Murdoch from Team Ortega. From what Dana White says, these guys are big strikers. They like to stand and trade. But that's about all the information we got right now. Uh, Volkanovski called for this matchup. So the idea, I guess, okay. is that Lampros is supposed to be the better striker. Otherwise, that matchup doesn't make sense. Or maybe he's got a, a grappling background that Murdoch can't counter. But uh, yeah, more on that on next week. Okay, so before we go into that, I, I know you, you both of you kind of wanted to uh, bring this up no, to talk a little bit about uh, Taiwan Woodley and Jake Parr. So who, <laughs> who wants to start with that one? I mean, how do you feel, Sam? <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm still recovering from being lambasted from the Ben Askren loss. So uh, I don't know, man. Woodley hadn't won a round in three fights. You know, this is an easy cash grab. Everybody can tell. That's all these fights are. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, kind of what this weekend, Anderson Silva beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. These, you know, mixed fights, you know, the boxer versus the MMA. I don't think Woodley, I, I think he's going to end up a lot like Askren because, Miles, like you had said before the show, it's not that he's a great striker. The The, the story is he has a, had hellacious power in his right hand. Everybody knew that. But you don't see him mixing it up a lot. He throws one to two strikes at a time. Now, I think Jake Paul is very much lesser than his brother when it comes to the boxing. So, I, I don't know. I don't. To be honest, first, I couldn't care who won. But, yeah. B, I, I think Paul will probably win it because then the cash cow stops. Then the golden goose quits laying – the golden eggs if, if Paul loses. So, you know, he, he's got good management. They're picking his fights for him well, or he's picking his fights for him well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my thought. I think it's all a cash grab, you know, and I'm not a fan of Triller either. On, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's just not a fan. <laughs> it's not even a fight league. It's a record label. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? How much more of a joke hey. do you get? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like at first, I was like, Tyron Willie has to win this, and the more I look into, it, I'm like, he's having, he's had like a crisis of con consciousness over the last couple of years. Ever since he lost the belt, he's mm -hmm. just not looked the same. He relies too much mm -hmm. on that one punch power. So who knows how his uh, striking is going to be in the boxing match? Whereas uh, Jake Paul has put a lot of money and time into training 
They're trying to get the best people in. So like he, he's not the best, but you know, he's putting work in at least. Whereas <clears throat> you just said beforehand, he, he's training for like two minutes, eating, sitting down, shit, uh, like BSing yeah. <laughs> in, in, a, in a YouTube video. And it's like, if this is the guy that plans the box next uh, in two months, you're going to get knocked out or lose yeah. because you rely too much on that power punch. He knows it. And uh, this is just a big payday for him before right. he goes into a, a call in action because he'll likely go back to UFC as a commentator. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's already done that a couple of times. He's, he hasn't been bad at it. Yeah. He's actually pretty eloquent. But, like, yeah. here's the thing. Like, fucking, this is just the latest episode of Jake Paul wants to LARP at being a boxer. He's not yeah. interested in being a boxer. And everybody who gives him this credit is like, oh, he's like an up-and-comer. No, he's not. Fuck you. No, he's not. He's never fought a real boxer. And he, he went on Twitter one time, and people were, like, <laughs> of course, giving him shit about this whole thing. And he's like, you know what, guys? If you if you've never been in the ring, you shouldn't be able to talk about boxing because like you don't know. I was like, motherfucker, you haven't been in the ring. You know what? You know what a boxing ring needs to be legitimate? Another boxer is your opponent. That's like basic level, right? That's like if I like took YouTube uh, jujitsu lessons, right? And then I, I held my own jujitsu tournament and like I made my own fancy belt, right? I made it out of fucking glitter and, and stickers and styrofoam. And then I was like, all right, guys, I'm going to show you how badass I am at jujitsu. So, so here I've got my opponents. Um, this is my mailman. Uh, this guy uh, used to be a fight commentator. Never fought before, but he used to talk about it. Uh, this guy over here, uh, he does judo, and they don't spend a lot of time on the ground. They do, like, the standing stuff. But, like, when they get down there, they don't know about much about submissions. But, like, he's still, you know, he's a fighter. He's a fighter. He's fought, right? Like, he's won before. And then, and then this guy over here. He's like, I don't know, a WWE wrestler. Like, half their shit is choreographed. How cool am I as a fucking jujitsu guy at that point, right? It's like, no, dude, if you want to be a jujitsu guy, go fight jujitsu guys. You go to tournaments and you <clears throat> fight other people with comparable skill. Jake Paul's never been interested in that. Never. And there was a thing I saw with the, um, it was uh, Joe Rogan who had some really stupid fucking takes about this, but basically he was, uh, they were, they was, he had a guest on, I forget who it was, but they were talking about it. And the guest brings up like, well, I mean, if he is serious about being a boxer and entering the world of boxing, like he says he wants, wants to do, why not bring in a guy like uh, Andre Ward? You know, he's, he's retired, multi, uh, a gold medalist, multi-time world champion. The guy's, you know, proven in the ring. His career wasn't super long, but like the guy can fight. Like that would be, the guy to, to, to match up with because he's also kind of aged out a little bit. He's had some, some physical issues. So it's a little bit more of an even playing field, but he was like, do you think uh, Jake Paul would do that? And immediately without skipping a beat, I was like, no, of course he wouldn't fucking do that. That, that ruins the grift, right? Like that ruins the LARPing session, LARPing session over when you realize, oh fuck, even this dude who's old, retired and battle worn to shit can beat the crap out of me. And there was a comment in that video that I think just put this fucking perfectly. It was like he was the guy was saying like, oh, Jake Paul is all power. You know, his technique, it exists. But you put him in the ring with a real boxer. The real boxer is going to have way more body and head movement. Just slip out of the way of those big power punches, piece him up and then knock him out over the course of many punches rather than trying to break on one punch. Right now, what Jake Paul is doing, it's like the boxing version of dancing with the stars. I was like, holy shit, that's exactly what it is. 
That's yes. what it is. Yeah, this is that's exactly right. So after he beats up Tyrone Woodley, which I think he'll probably win because again, Tyrone Woodley, not a boxer. He released a thing on his own personal YouTube video or his uh, YouTube channel talking about like, oh, this is the training I'm doing to get ready to fight fucking Jake Paul. And he spends less than a minute in a five minute video showing you his yeah. training. The rest of the time he's like eating and talking on the phone and like driving. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You said you were going to work your ass off. What do you think work your ass off means exactly? Like he's probably in there maybe two, three times a week at the most. So I don't know. He, he The other thing is like with MMA striking, there's a, there's a big difference between MMA striking and boxing. And striking. boxing. Because MMA striking, first of all, the stances are completely different because you have to worry about wrestlers. If you get like a super wide boxing stance, that's just inviting a single leg. And everybody knows that. That's why they don't use that stance. But at the same time, that means you're going to have to change up your tactics, which is why you typically see Muay Thai as sort of the striking stand-in for MMA rather than boxing. Because Muay Thai also prepares you to use different tools and it trains you to defend against all those tools. It's just a better fit. You've got guys like like Piotr Jan who just have been boxing so fucking long, they can make all those adjustments on the fly. It doesn't really matter to them. But for everybody else, Muay Thai tends to be the standard. Muay Thai is not as clean. Muay Thai is completely stylistically different. It doesn't rely on like head and body movement as much. It relies on teeping people away, landing big power shots, and essentially just seeing who breaks first. Completely different from boxing. And if you go in with that mentality of like, oh, I'm just going to stand and trade. That's what the boxer's banking on, dude. He's like, yes, please do that. And also don't... Don't move your head very much. That's going to be a fucking easy win for me. You know what I mean? So th this is already a terrible matchup. And you're taking away Tyrone Woodley's biggest asset. His NCAA Division I wrestling career and his, his experience there. His Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt experience. And that's where most of his wins come, by the way. it's He uses the striking to set up clinch situations where he can really deliver the powerful shit. The, the elbows, the knees, the breaking uh, as he breaks the, the clinch situation, the big crosses. That's where his wins come in, right? It's those close quarters fighting situations. But... Obviously, I don't think he's well suited for this. He's not putting in the work to win, really. So we're probably going to see him lose. And then just recently, I heard Jake Paul say after uh, uh, this uh, Woodley, he wants to fight Nate Diaz. Again, not a boxer. 11, the majority of his wins. Hold on. Yeah. 11 wins by submission, five by knockout, four by decision of his 20 wins. So the dude's a grappler first and foremost. He can strike. He's got natural power. He knows what he's doing vaguely. Again, probably more in the vein of Muay Thai than boxing. Trained trained by the Gracies also. Yeah. he's. Yeah. A, I think, yes, second degree black belt under uh, Caesar Gracie. So, yeah, the yep. guy's a credentialed grappler, and that's where most of his skill set lies. But he's not going to have any of that. He's going to have a basic rudimentary sort of Muay Thai approach with natural power in a situation where you need more technical skill than you need power really overall. So he's, he's never going to really box. I don't think he says he's, uh, I think he said he was going to enter the MMA octagon one time before he dies. I really want to know who he's going to fight against. I got to see that fucking fight. Cause he's going to get wrecked i mean that, fucking wrecked that might be the same day the day he enters the octagon could very well be <laughs> the day hope. that he dies i hope man. Hey, he's, like, he's gonna come daniel in and be Corrier, like daniel Corrier was like dude i hate this fucking kid if he steps into the octagon with me i am going to hurt him i don't care about winning i am going to draw that fight out as long as i can and hurt that little shit so like but santa Corrier, he might try to kill the kid and somehow it's gonna be like, okay, I'm going to the octagon and I'm fighting Randy Couture just because he's Olenek. old. 
was going to yeah. say Olenek. <laughs> he wants Olenek. <laughs> He'll tap out like right away. So, you know, he wants, he wants Brendan Moreno. <laughs> it's like yeah. getting a flyweight. <laughs> oh, my God. Which, by the way, a lot of these guys he's fighting, not natural heavyweight competitors, no. right? No. He wants. Uh, 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 all of them are welterweights. What the fuck? Isn't he fighting at heavyweight? That's another thing. I'm like, really, guy? I don't know. You want to pick on guys who are smaller than you? That's kind of a bitch move. You know but, what I mean, uh, right? <laughs> But before we move on, uh, we got a comment from uh, the MMA host, Wonderful, Wonderful. Oh. Check, them, uh, ch- check them out. They're, they usually go on at 10 o'clock on Mondays. Uh, so definitely when we get off, go on, check them out on YouTube, subscribe to their channel. It's a great view. Check them out. But uh, that brings us to the UFC uh, Vegas 29 recap now. The first fight that we have on here is a welterweight matchup between Matt Brown, who moved to 25 and 18, 16 and 12 in the UFC, who he defeated Diego Lima, who fell to 17 and 9, 4 and 7 in the UFC, in which Matt Brown won by second round KO. I'll start with you, Sam. What did you think of this fight? Man, I got to tell you, at 40 years old, the guy still has it. He still has his power. He still looks, you know, fresh in there. The 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 shot he hit him with, to me, was so out of nowhere, yet the perfect spot. He picked the exact perfect spot for that shot. And when he hit him, Lima face planted. There's not a whole lot you can say. He landed 57% of his total strikes. And... Bottom line, you know, a guy like Matt Brown, he still draws. He has drawing power. People love the guys like him and Condit, these these old warriors that will not say die. And I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, I think he's going to be picking his fights as far as entertaining fights. This was an entertaining fight. This was a fight showing that Matt Brown still has what it takes to be a threat in the welterweight division. He looked really good. And I, you know, I expected more for Lima from Lima because he is a a vet. He's a veteran and he's got decent hands, but you know, no, he's not a world beater either. So, you know, just his timing, Matt Brown's timing and the way he picked that shot was beautiful. So kudos to Matt Brown i love to see who he's fighting next, and I'll definitely be watching it, Gus. On to you, Miles. Yeah, for sure. What was kind of interesting about this one, first of all, another tough loss for Lima, especially right following the loss of his uh, Bilal Muhammad fight, right? That kind of sucks. And I think most people were kind of expecting him to win because even though he's like a vet, he's... I think he's younger, but he's not only that aged better in the sport in terms of accruing battle damage. than I think Matt Brown has like you look at these two guys just standing next to each other and you're like, holy shit. One of these guys definitely is wearing the damage more than the other one. You know what I mean? Like if if you hadn't told me that Diego Lima was a, a veteran, like if I didn't know that, I would think this guy's like maybe in the middle of his career. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like maybe a, a 10 and five record, something like that, you know, something real kind of still fresh. But the, the, what, what I saw here that was really interesting is actually these guys are very like close stylistically, actually, when you watch them, they're both a, their own certain flavor, their own certain vor- version of Muay Thai. And it's just the way that they apply that Muay Thai, that, that those small differences that I think kind of ended up winning this fight. 
so in the first round, you got Brown and Lehman. They were trading fairly evenly. It was difficult to say who was coming out ahead in a lot of those on those exchanges. But one big difference was that Lima was investing early on the legs. He was going for those calf kicks and Brown was investing more on the body. He was going for big body kicks. He was investing on the, on the uh, power teeps, things like that. Um, and then over the course of the first round, I would say that Lima's investment seemed to pay off more because it was slowing up Brown. He didn't like those leg shots that kept coming in. You saw the swelling, the redness on that lead leg, which <laughs> Again, another stylistic <clears throat> difference. Brown was very heavy on that front leg in the first round. He was putting a lot of weight in it. So whenever Lima would land those calf kicks, it was even more damaging because he wasn't letting the weight off and just kind of riding out the impact. He was absorbing all of it right there into that calf. So that made it uh, made the damage accrual much faster. But definitely some some very close things happened in that first. I would give it was, it's hard to say, even say who I'd give it to. But I would say Lima just a little bit because of the accumulated calf damage uh, slowed down Brown enough for him to get just like maybe a handful of strikes. Like what's the margin? Three strikes? Yeah, that's about right. But yeah. oddly enough, it's it's Brown who came out ahead in those three, three strikes. But like just from observing, I would have guessed Lima. But it didn't matter anyway because Brown came in and finished it in the second round. So who gives a shit? <laughs> but... <laughs> Here was an here was that that kind of fancy time shot, but this is again where their style sort of came into play. Lima came out guns blazing at the beginning, and he was trying to push the pace. He's like, "All right, this guy's you know more battle worn than I am. If I push him and make him burn energy faster, on top of having a compromised leg, it's just going to wear him out through the through the course of this round." So he was being very aggressive, um, and at first Brown was sort of kind of meeting him halfway. But then over time, he sort of started to take more of the, not counter offensive, but he was letting Lima take the lead, right? He was letting him dictate the pace probably after the first minute or so of, of back and forth. Now, what that ended up doing is because Lima was so heavy and, and forward pressure on his attacks, that gave Brown tons and tons of opportunities for counter shots. Like after that first minute, he was just sort of waiting around for Lima to fire off his next combination and go, where are my counters at? And just place them, you know? And it, 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 from working on his back foot and landing those well-timed counters, just a matter of time till he landed that big power shot. Now, puncher's chance, right? Like nobody was expecting the knockout like that. But if he kept that strategy going, it would have definitely wore down Lima to a, to a pretty significant degree because he was eating a lot of big shots on those counter movements. But this just happened to be the one that put him away very exciting ending, solid game plan strategy from uh, uh, Brown, especially coming off of a tough first round where even if he took the round, he took a lot of damage to get those 10 points. You know what I'm saying? It could have cost him uh, maybe the second going forward if he didn't make those adjustments, even on the fly. Like, I don't think he planned that in the corner with his coaches. I think he was responding to that first minute and going, all right, here's what we're going to do next. And some of that comes from being a coach, being the guy to give the advice to the fighters, right? And I think that definitely came into play here. Um, as far as going forward, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Brown, like I said, he's wearing the damage on him, but he's still, you know, people want to see him. People want to see him. For some reason, people like watching these older generation fighters who still want to get in there and mix it up and shit. Now, having said that, the, the fights that people are like really interested in, like the Nate Diaz fight, when they match up the younger fighters and like, oh, can they fight the young pups? I don't think that'd be a good move for Nate Brown. I think 
fucking Dana White's probably going to push him in that direction. I think Dana White's going to be like, oh, let's capitalize on this, try to make as yeah. much money as we can on the next matchup, which I don't think would be a good idea. Personally, I think he should stay <laughs> right around where he's at in the rankings, like upper 40s, low 30s, like somewhere in there, kind of right out the rest of his career, maybe get into the 20s a little bit because that's where the younger guys tend to congregate a little bit. So... I mean, he's still got some years in him. He's still got some fights left in him. I think we got some exciting performances ahead. Um, but I mean, look, if he if he does well in those kind of lower rankings, fuck it, give him a shot at the at the twenties. You know, let's see how he does against some of these younger guys because they're young, but they're green as fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they can make those mistakes that he can capitalize on with his experience and his you know time in the ring and all that. I think he could maybe have a chance at some of these guys in the twenties. But what's next for Diego Lima, though? Like, <laughs> man, two two big losses, two big losses. But uh, you know, I think since he's in that area of the rankings anyway, fucking give him Max Griffin. You know, like he needs a bounce back fight. So yeah. why not? You know, fuck it. Yeah, I, th- I thought the the camera angle after the knockout uh, was perfect. Uh, they zoom in on Matt Brown, and he's like. How's that for being 40 years old? <laughs> yeah, that was great. perfect. And a good note to make on on this fight, uh, in the Ultimate Fighter with the season where TJ D- D- Dillashaw was a coach, yep. uh, Matt Brown was his assistant, and then Diego Lima was one of their uh, fighters. So he like they both know each other because Awkward he coached reunion. him there. <laughs> yeah. And and they said that Diego Lima was like, I really didn't want to take this fight because of it, but I knew he'd be pissed if I didn't because he coached me. So like right. I felt I needed to take the fight. I felt like in the first round, one of the glaring things with Brown was his fighting stance. He had the of course the lead leg right in front. Lima kept attacking it. And it was taking damage there. And then I really like how they, they even said it. I really like how Matt Brown throws his kicks. It's like kind of pointed differently. He does it a little awkward, but he, he attacks uh, the, the opponent a, a lot differently than anybody else would because of it. And it, and then uh, Lima was taking damage for that. But then I, knowing that he was taking a lot of damage in the first round, because they primarily were throwing leg kicks around one. They might have thrown maybe 10 punches total in the first round and the rest were leg kicks coming in the second round. He changed his stance. It was more of like a Muay Thai as foot pointed down and he was kind of moving backwards. Kind of like you said, he was kind of waiting for reaction from Lima. And then that's where the knockout came And uh, Lima. He saw what Lima was doing. He, he kind of read it. And then he game plan for him to throw. He moved he kind of ducked down and then threw his, just knocked him the fuck out. Didn't even go in afterwards because he knew he had it. No. And they got the win. And fuck, he's forty years old. Like, it, like it, he looked, he looked like younger than he did. Like he looked good in that, in that, the movement and everything. Like I was impressed with that. Like this was a guy that maybe a year ago you thought he needs to retire right now, but he put in a good performance against Lima. And, hey, maybe he has a couple of fights left in him, uh, more than what we thought. But he picked up the second-round uh, knockout, was great, and then yeah, what? he got paid. So There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to the second fight on the card, a middleweight matchup between basically two newcomers. Uh, we had uh, Bruno Silva, who picked up the victory. He moved to 20-6. and six. 
he's one and zero in the UFC now, and he defeated Wellington Terman, who fell to sixteen and five, one and three in the UFC, and Silva won by first round KO. What are your thoughts about this? I'll start with you, Miles. Uh, I don't have too much on this one, mostly because it was super short. But uh, you know, fucking battle of Brazilians over here. <laughs> kind of interesting yep. how how similar their backgrounds were, really. And here's the thing: the, the commentators are going on and on and like suckling on Silva's balls. Oh, what a great <laughs> fucking debut! Oh my god, what a what a fucking prodigy! Like, all right, don't jack him off too hard. They're gonna break your arm. Chill out. Like, but here's the thing: I thought it was a mixed bag because they came out. And Truman immediately, or Terman, I'm sorry, immediately got him on the cage in the wrestling. And from that point, he, like, had a lot of control over Silva. Like, Silva reversed it about a minute or so into the round, got to the back as well. But Truman, man, he, he threw in, what, like, eight takedown attempts? And he was, he didn't, or no, I'm sorry, ten. Ten over the course of the first round. He didn't get any successful takedowns. But what he would do is he would shirk. Uh, uh, Silva, Silva off of his base and then use that to take his back again and just hang out back there. He backpacked him like five times. Like Silva was not looking great for most of this round. He was being controlled. He was problem solving. He was fighting off his back foot. That's not an amazing performance. The, the turning point is when Silva slipped Terman off of his back, got him into the ground, and, and you know took the top position. Then after a little bit of like, oh, I'm going to try to do an armbar. No, you're not. Fuck you. Oh, okay. Then he stood up and did the, the ground and pound, and that's what finished the fight. And like, yeah, he's a powerful guy because he's kind of big. He's a middleweight. You know, they're at least 185. He seems kind of big for a middleweight. I don't know his, his uh, dimensions, his height and stuff, but he seems kind of big for the division. His striking isn't anything to write home about. Most of that seems to depend on natural power rather than like super, super clean technique like Adesanya. Um, in fact, we had this conversation about, about Rodriguez in the, in the last fight, how you know he made his debut and he was really successful. I think Rodriguez did better than, than Silva did, even though Silva finished and Rodriguez went the distance. I would still say Rodriguez did a better showing because one, we got to see a better kind of cross-section of his skills. He showed that consistently he could perform in every single skill set, in every area of combat. He has room to grow, obviously, but he's on a very solid starting point. Whereas Silva were like, fuck, if Kevin Gasolim decides to get off his ass and wrestle, this guy's fucked. Like this guy's going to have no answers for that, you know? And again, we talked about it with, with Rodriguez, the middleweights, how many, how many solid uh, grapplers do you have in the middleweights? Eh, maybe seven, eight, seven, eight. How many really solid strikers do you have? Most of them. There's like three exceptions. You got like Brad Tavares, uh, Akhmedov and Hermanson. They're not bad. They're, mediocre for that division because everybody else is such a solid caliber striker and his hands are just not where they need to be to compete in that division. So he's still going to low in the brackets. He's got time, but you know, he's, he's got work to do for sure. He's definitely got work to do. He got his first finish. That's great. Momentum builds the confidence uh, for right now. 
I think he maybe needs to stay in the 40s and 50s for a while instead of shooting yeah. him up straight into the 30s or the 20s. Let him build some experience, get his feet wet <clears throat> amongst some of those, you know, older guys and also really green guys who win more often than they or sorry, lose more often than they win. Use that as a foothold to get some experience. Then I think he might, you know, be able to make his way into the 20s. And from there, we'll see. Maybe he's a, a bottom 15 contender. Maybe I'm completely wrong and he could, you know, one day be a title contender, but the way he is now, I think he's, that's a long fucking road. He's got to walk. And then he, I think he did good with his uh, takedown defense. I think that's yeah. what worked in his favor in this, but uh, before I get going, I'll, I'll let you go first, Sam, on what you thought of this. Uh, I think one thing that we do have to look at is this was uh, Silva's debut. You know, he was supposed to debut a while back and failed the drug test Yes. And was off for two years. Almost, I think it was a two-year suspension. So for a debut and, you know, fighting in the UFC is the real deal. That's the big leagues. You're, it's showtime. I thought he fought a really smart fight, a really good fight, with, you know, knowing that he probably had jitters that, hey, this is the UFC. This is the octagon here. This isn't, you know, the minor leagues. I thought he looked really good. I thought he had really good takedown defense. I think, Bake, mm -hmm. you just said that? Yeah. That was – yeah. I mean, his takedown defense was really good. He ended up, I think, significant strikes. What were uh, – I think he went – Significant strikes. 19, we had 19, 70, yeah. 75% uh, yeah. accuracy. Yeah, pretty good. So, uh, yeah. No, 19, 19 uh, yep. out of 26. I'm wrong. So, uh, he looked really good for a debut. I would agree with Miles in saying don't push him, don't cram him down everybody's throats, don't rush it, and let him develop. Uh, you know, I think I think he has a bright future in the middleweight division. And that right hand is no joke. <laughs> he's uh I think Noah commented, I saw that that he's got 18 knockouts. He's I mean, yeah. he is legit. I now, think to with be given fair, time. A lot of those were in CFC and something called PFRN. Like I'm looking at his, his fight career. Yeah. Here. It's C a different CFL. ball game when you're yeah. in the in the lower leagues. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we'll but see. I, his power, you know, there's no denying his power though. And I think if he's not, you know, if they don't rush it and force him into a fight where he gets, you know, his spirit broke and everything else, I think he could be a I think eventually could be a player in the middleweight division. Now, I mean, I, in this division, they're so powerful, though. Like, you got so many powerful. This isn't just like they're good; they're powerful as fuck. Like when you look at some develop, of the other division breakdowns, it's like, man, he's with, got some stiff competition. With the right That's coaching what, and sure. I think the right development, I think he could be. Let's you know, like I said, debut fight. Yeah. I was also impressed with Thurman. I've been calling him Thurman all day, so if I do say <laughs> Thurman, I said it too. Forgive so. me. It's really. <laughs> But uh, I thought he showed pretty good uh, grapple skills. And, you know, this was just think, Silva's night. Yeah, I think that he just made one small mistake on the last backpack. He got him too far up. And then Silva was and able to kind of like, yeah, he was, he was able to lower down, go like this. And then he, like you said, he lost it. And then he kind of tipped over. And, and then that's when Silver was just like, okay, flip you over. Yeah. I'm going to go on top and just start wailing. And he had him right from there. I was like, he's, he's not getting out of this. He, he, he had perfect shot at his face, hit him once, waited, hit him 
two, three times, he was out. He was out mm-hmm. after number two, and then that's all she wrote. He all, all he had to do was make that one mistake, and Silva was able to uh, capitalize on it. So they mm-hmm. both have like stuff that they have to work on. But I think if you if you don't shoot too far up, and then you kind of take your time, I think that will work better for uh, Silva. Yeah, to work on a couple of the things that he needs to work on, like you said. Not not sure up, maybe go like five or six ranks up and then take a fight and then work from there. It will benefit him rather than shooting all the way up. Because you know when you get guys that they shoot them up too fast, it, it hurts them in the long run because they they don't feel like they have stuff to work on. When they do, they get up lose, and then their confidence is just shot. Yeah. Whereas if you have him shoot up a little bit, be like, work on this. You you did good with the, the this part. You did good with your takedown. You did good with your striking. Just work on your pace and work on not putting yourself into certain situations, and then that'll work out a lot better for him from here on out. And then for Thur- Thur- Thurman, it's just. Make sure you don't make those mistakes where you fall down and put yourself in a striking situation where you leave yourself open. It, go on his back, but make sure, like, you're big. He he, he's obviously, he was big, so when he did that, I, I knew he was going to tip over when he was trying to hang up too far up. Mm-hmm. He probably should have shimmied on down and tried to do it or just get, get off and try to trade with him afterwards. Because it, it, it was just not going to end well. And, of course, he got knocked out uh, a minute or two later. So, I think it, he was working well with the with the grappling and whatnot. For him, I don't know what would go for him there. Maybe just wait and then see if there's somebody that he can work, work on. But it wasn't that bad for him other than that one mistake. And this is why it's important to keep up what's going on in the UFC, yeah. even when you're not like getting a shot in the top 15 or other. Because if you were watching the, uh, 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 I think it was Sakai Rosenstruck yeah. card, the Tabora showed him a cheat code that fucking quarter Nelson and one hook in yeah. that shit works. Yeah, they can't tip you over, man. It works. You yeah, pay attention. Uh, but uh, let's move on to the third fight in the card. A men's featherweight matchup, uh, a guy that I'm higher on right now, is a matchup between Sung Woo Choi, who defeated Doreen Arusa by first round knockout. Choi uh, moves to 10 and 3, 3 and 2 in the UFC, where as Doreen Arusa falls to 25 and 10, 3 and 5 in the UFC. I'll start with you, uh, Sam. I was impressed with uh, Choi, very impressed with Choi. His striking, once again, the word of the night for this card for me is timing. Timing, timing, time. He had beautiful timing. He finished him out quick, 97 seconds. He had, he was coming fast and hard with beautiful, crisp strikes. And I got to say, when he landed that knockout shot, it sounded like a shotgun going off. This guy, really good fight. Not a whole lot to say. Like I said, he, this was Choi from the beginning. And 97 seconds, he looked pretty good to me, man. I thought it was a great fight. Just added to this awesome card that we got. You know, so, yeah, Choi, absolutely great striking and immaculate timing. On to you, Miles. I mean, yeah, this was such a short fight, but there's a lot to kind of be gleaned from this. So, 
I, I called this fight when they were showing the guys working out in the locker rooms. Because yeah. when you watched them working on pads and you saw Erosa, I was like, what the fuck is that coach doing with him? Like, what, <laughs> what is he doing on those pads? So, like, immediately I was like, all right, this guy, you know, he's a grappler who picked up striking along the way. And he's still on that journey. I think most of his, yeah, submission, submission. A lot of submission victories here. Early in his career, he had a decent number of uh, TKOs and knockouts. Uh, some of these are by ground and pound and stuff. But again, those are lower leagues. Once he steps into the UFC, we're seeing uh, submissions, decisions, handful of knockouts. But like this guy, he's been developing striking over his career. He's not a striker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Troy, on the other hand, is a striker. You can tell. That's like his <laughs> bread and butter. And the, the, the skill differential was apparent it was obvious to even someone who had no training like i like to watch these fights with my mom and my mom never had a day of training in her life she's like oh that Troy guy's better <laughs> she didn't, didn't even need me to explain the technical difference she just knew right and like that's how obvious it was and the reason that's so important is because erosa part of the thing he still needs to work on is how he delivers strikes because he had a lot of like loopy open strikes which created these openings and Choi very explosive he just shot in before that gap closed and landed yeah, a big right, power in the, shot. right in the middle yeah. yeah a couple of times it happened over and over and then once he started figuring out oh it's that easy to shoot past his guard fuck i got this you know then it was just a matter of time because he was wearing erosa down that wasn't a knockout that happened that was a knockout you know five six punches in the making he's fucking slobber knocked him from the beginning of the round all the way till the knockout so that was the point at which erosa just broke was that one two uh jab hook combination where he caught him put him on his butt and then finished via tko so yeah very very technical finish um and the good news is that actually shoots up uh Choi pretty far into the rankings if i'm not mistaken he is in the 40s yeah he's oh wow he's like around the 50s mid 50s ish before the fight uh they're probably gonna flip flop positions which erosa was around mid to high 20s so that's probably where he's gonna land more or less after the the rankings settle down um as far as where he goes next i'd like to see him you know maybe getting into uh the the high 20s low 15s i think is a good spot for him right now like uh Hakim Duwadu is coming off of a loss, and that would be a fucking firefight, man. Mm -hmm. the, Hakim, he just throws with so much fucking power. He's got that Muay Thai. And Choi, he's a power striker too, but he's, it comes from his technique. And I'd love to see those guys just fucking, slot, like fucking slug it out for three rounds or just see who breaks first. Either way, it'd be extremely exciting. And if Choi comes out on top, that puts him within spitting range of the top 15. He's like number 16, 17 if he wins that fight. So I think that's... That'd be a good matchup for him. Yeah, and then he was able to hide his weakness, which is basically he leaves his head open, like he doesn't veer off from the line to avoid shots. But it was he was able to use his uh, power shots because even though like he has really good boxing, uh, and that's why that's what he's shown in this. But he was able to throw all those shots as power shots because he wasn't overloading on it. He was taking his time. He was doing a one-two, and then he back up go back like 20 seconds later, one, two, one, two. And then, it, like you said, he was able to do that combo where he threw the right. He actually missed it, but because he was coming back so fast with the left, he was able to connect on that. Uh, when he avoided the sh shot from Rosa, 
put him down. He hit him twice. And then he basically was like, I got this in the bag and then got up and then uh, took the win. Uh, it was no competition between who had the better striking. Uh, of course, I'm surprised Arosa was even trying to uh, do that with them. I was surprised he didn't try and shoot and try and grapple with them to avoid the shots. He, he, he looked like he wanted to trade, which was the first mistake he made because from the first shot, he should have known, I can't compete with this guy uh, standing up because he's just too quick. And, and with his hands, it was like snap, boom, he hit him already. Snap, boom, he hit him already before he could get a second shot off. And by then he was tired and then he just got knocked the fuck out, uh, of course. And then he was put to sleep. And then they had a they had a thing where they kept on showing the replay. I'm like, damn, they're killing this guy. Because they showed the replay like five times in different angles. And uh, I think, what did Dominic Cruz say? He said something. Uh, no, no, yeah, yeah, that, that's what you said. He was like, when he got hit, you, you could hear him getting hit and the sound at, at which thing that it was thrown because he threw it so fast and with so much power at the same time that it made a, that crazy noise. And I'm just like, that's why I picked him before the fight happened. A lot of people were jumping on Arusa. I'm like, Dude, everybody's sleeping on this uh, uh, Troy guy. Like he, like they annoyed him a big time prospect coming in because of the because uh, of his speed and his boxing. I'm like, you got to go with them. So I went with them. I, I think I picked like a third round knockout, and I was like, I was even like, damn, 90 seconds in knockout, jeez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I I have high hopes for him moving on with the, with that performance because it's not like. Yeah, you yeah. know what would be interesting is he's he'd definitely have to work on his jujitsu more. But like, if he ended up climbing the ranks, seeing him and Korean Zombie square off, you know what Ooh. I'm saying? Yeah, right. They're very stylistically similar, but like, it'd be interesting to see who breaks free. Now, if Korean Zombie gets him to the ground, then you know that's the thing Choi's not great at is is ground stuff. Yeah. But like, if he has some time to flesh that out, that would be a kind of a cool matchup. They're from the same country, even so, you know, yeah. that'd be neat. I thought that'd be a cool matchup. But and now let's move on to the fourth fight on the card, uh, which was probably one of my favorite fights, of course. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, which was the rematch that that was uh, from a couple of years ago, a men's band rate matchup where Marlon Vera defeated David Grant by unanimous decision. Um, Vera moved to 17 7 and 1, 11 and 6 in the UFC, whereas David Grant fell to 13 and 5, 5 and 3 in the UFC. I'll start with you, uh, uh, Miles. All right. Well, this fucking sequel definitely <laughs> delivered. It was an absolute fucking battle from beginning to end. It was awesome. Now, I got it. The way I, I scored it was Grant got the first, and then Vera took the last two. But that second round was pretty fucking close. Like, that was that was yeah, closer than I think exa- most people Exactly think, what you know? I said, yeah. So, like, the first one was all Grant, and it, it was partially because Vera was taking his time. He was 
getting his reads. He was finding his distance, finding his timing. So Grant took the opportunity to put in a lot more volume on the standup. He was initiating those attacks. He was putting Vera on the back foot, which to be fair, one of the most effective ways to read distance and read timing is to work from your back foot because what it does is it invites those punches in and allows you to sort of get used to the feel of like, oh, that's what a jab from this guy looks like. Oh, that's what his cross looks like. So on and so forth, right? So part of that is is the strategy that Vera was employing in that first round um, kind of allowed Grant, and Grant kind of stepped into it in, in, so, in so to speak because of how aggressive he was. Um, and then three minutes in, you know, Grant pulled guard. They went to the ground a little bit, but it, it didn't last long on the on the ground. They got right back up. In the second round, though, Vera got all the information he needed in the first. And then he came out fucking guns blazing. So when they when the match started, they were fairly even and they were they were fucking trading. They were going back and forth. Vera wasn't just letting him kind of set the pace anymore. He was pushing back. And Vera found quite a bit of success in the, the clinch situations early in the round. Then about a minute and a half in, uh, Grant was noticeably tired. Like that was kind of the other <clears throat> issue with Grant's strategy in the first is come out guns blazing. I think he over overestimated how much energy or underestimated how much energy that was going to cost him. Because you could tell he was he was starting to gas out a little bit. And so Vera saw that and was like, oh, OK, cool. Let's turn up the pressure. Let's turn up the volume a little bit. But to be fair, Grant was still landing some serious power shots. He was by no means out of that fight. He was just not producing volume. He was just landing the shots that mattered. You know what I'm saying? So then Grant got the takedown about halfway through the round. He got some control time on top, but it's it's pretty marginal. When you look at the, the stat breakdown, I think it's only a minute difference between them yeah. in, the, in the first round because Vera just fucking reversed it off of that fake ankle lock attempt, got to his feet, and then immediately went right back into the top position. Uh, it started in sort of like a non-traditional half guard sort of sort of thing and then he kind of worked him over from there um, but i think the thing that gave vera the round just by a fucking hair by a margin was the ground and pound because he was using it as much as he could it wasn't just the elbows it was he when he was close enough to use the elbows in that in that like traditional half guard he'd throw those and then when the distance changed when uh when um Grant wanted to put him more in like a front guard situation. He started using longer strikes, longer striking tools, like his crosses and shit like that. So he was just adapting to that situation better and using the tools to eke out those extra little points. It's that little margin that would get him the second. And that's what Noah said. Uh, those elbows were the turning point of the fight. Agreed. I think you, I think you're, are you referring to specifically the standing elbows? Cause those are fucking vicious. Yeah. The clinch the clinch elbows. elbows. Yeah. That that volley of like three or four, three of them he blocked, but that last one got through and cut cut Grant the fuck open. Which good for Grant for blocking them. Those were some solid elbows. Like you don't see too many solid elbow defenses like that. Yeah. That was good, man. But in the third, it was all Vera. I think Grant spent a ton of energy in the first two rounds. It's very different fighting from your back when you're being punched in the face while you're trying to do your your ground defense. So I think that cost him like twice as much energy as it would have normally. So once they got into the third round, they were both tired, but I think it hit Grant harder. Um, now they were fairly even at the beginning, but then Grant made a tactical error that I think cost him just the last little bit he had in the gas tank when he tried to shoot for that single leg. I was like, bro, what are you doing? That was a terrible fucking idea because Farah had a little more energy in him. So he just stuffed it, rolled around, moved to the back and just kind of made him pay for it. And from there, he he 
use that opportunity to take the back, get a choke attempt. But essentially what that did is one that burns Grant's energy for trying to do the takedown Two burns even more energy being choked the fuck out. Even if it's unsuccessful yeah. and he gets out, it's not, you know, not something that's an easy thing to get out of. Uh, and then they just transitioned. Vera took the top position in the Mount had a few submission attempts, but uh, yeah, he didn't let him up after that. He pretty much just controlled and ground and pounded him for the rest of the round. It was a situation where uh, Vera like got him down again when they stood up, but it was all Vera for the rest of that round. And Grant was just doing whatever he could to fucking survive. That was it. <laughs> like he was just holding on by like his nails. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was very, very close, especially when the stand up there in the third, it looked like either of them were going to tip. Like that was nuts when they were trading and they both looked like they were wobbly on the feet and shit. So it was a very exciting fight. Um, definitely want to conclude that trilogy at some point. Don't know when it'll happen, oh, but yeah. that, that would, will be a banger no matter what, um, uh, in terms of what's next for Vera, I would say that, you know, he definitely earned a, sh- uh, a, a, a move forward and an attempt at, or at least a shot at moving up in the rankings, Um, but also he took a lot of damage on that fight. So one, I think he's going to need maybe a little bit more recovery time than, than you would normally need because of how rough that fight was. Um, but I think a good challenge for him right now might be like a Jimmy Rivera, gets him a few spots up. Rivera has some similar skill sets. I'd say Rivera is a little bigger, probably has a little more striking power in him, but the, the grappling, I think would kind of end up being a bit more of a wash. So I think that'd be a good challenge for him because it it would challenge him to continue to improve on the tools he's going to need later in the division anyway. So if he can't get past, you know, Jimmy Riviera, he's not getting past fucking Pedro Munoz, Frankie Edgar, Cody Condon, you know, or I'm sorry, Cody Garbrandt. He's not getting past these guys if he can't get past a a fucking Jimmy Riviera. So I think that's a good first step for him. He did call out Dominic Cruz. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know about that, man. Dom don't want to do that, man. He's too low in the ranks yeah that, that that would be completely counterintuitive for dominic cruz if he loses he's at the bottom of the division you know so he's like why am i gonna risk that also i just don't think that'd be a great matchup i feel like vera would struggle with the range difference because dominic cruz is a long linky fucking guy he and his would, footwork his footwork would throw it yeah. off big time well the range think- would also cancel out a lot of the the clinch success because those longer arms make it harder to work in those clinch situations Absolutely. if the guy's clinch keeps you like this fucking far away you don't have as much room to throw those elbows and knees at least when you're trying to close in and be explosive if he can keep you away it kind of it, it you know definitely takes the spring out of your step so i i think it would be kind of a rough matchup for him give him riviera first see how he does then maybe we'll talk about dominic cruz I think Cruz is going to be selective anyway because he's getting oh, paid yeah. right now to commentate oh, yeah. on all the all the fight night cards. So you, you know he's going to be selective yeah. no matter what. Can't be a commentator if you go in looking all fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So hey, that's so true. Sense. But uh, let's move on to the next next fight on the fight card. We oh, got God. a heavyweight matchup <laughs> between. Uh, Sergey Spivak, who defeated Alexei Olenek by unanimous uh, decision. So fucking stupid. Uh, <laughs> uh, yep. Sergey Spivak uh, moved to 13-2, and 4-2 and two in the UFC. And Alexei Olenek fell to 59-16-1, and 8-7 in the UFC. I'll start with you, uh, Sam. Guys, I don't really have a whole lot to say on this one. Uh <laughs> First off, the biggest loser in this fight were the fans. This didn't 
do anything for the card. It was a big, you could tell it was just a big letdown. A bunch of air just got sucked out of the, out of the arena. You know, it, it was just a boring fight. The, the commentators talked Spivak up like he was the second coming. And my thoughts on Olenek is you can look for him to probably get cut by the end of the year. He had his big shot with DC. They've gave him multiple chances to move back up. Uh, you know, he's just – if he was going to do something, he would have done it by now. Uh, just a, a, a very disappointing – well, I don't think it's a very disappointing fight because I don't I don't expect a whole lot when Olenek fights. It's usually a boring fight. Uh, I'm a wrestler, so I appreciate the grappling aspect of it, but he just doesn't seem to be on the level that he needs to be in that division. Uh, I, just piss poor fight. Not very pleased with it. I hate that that happened on this card because every other fight on the main card was absolute fire. No. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's about all I've got on that one. That was a big letdown. Actually, oh, I think you- I might have fell asleep in the third round. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, do you, Miles? What the fuck was this, dude? Like, what the what the fuck did I just sit through, man? That's what I was thinking after I saw that fight. And here's the thing. Like, it's rare. And then, I mean, fucking rare to have an embarrassing win. And that's what Spivak had. He had an embarrassing fucking win. Like, he went in. Nobody was betting against him, right? This was, like, definitely loaded in his fucking favor. Even Olenek is like, dude, I'm going to lose this fucking fight. And he won, but he still didn't deliver. Like, fuck, man. <laughs> like, how how much of a fucking victory on a platter do you need to be handed? And then, like, you take the platter, you just drop it all over the place, and you're, like, smear it, trying to clean that shit up. Like, this was just a fucking <clears throat> awful fight. It was a blood. It was, it was terrible. So, like, Olenek, the fact that Olenek took the first, let's talk about that. That's pretty fucking embarrassing. He took the first round, and, like, yeah, people are like, oh, Olenek, he's such a fucking veteran. He's got all this. The dude's fought 75 times. He he started the round, and the way he was moving on the stand-up, you're like, holy shit, did he forget his walker? Like, is he going to be okay? Does he does he need his life alert necklace for this fight? Like, holy shit, man. <laughs> like, you can tell this guy is being held together by fucking, you know, spirit and, and broken bones at this point. You know what I mean? But he still took the first because Spivik, you know, didn't... First of all, all of his strikes seemed completely ineffective. He didn't look... Olenek didn't look bothered by anything that Spivik was doing at any point in the fight. But in the first round, when you're super fucking fresh, you got all your energy, everything's working the way it's supposed to, you got no injuries, he still couldn't do anything that bothered Olenek. To the point where Olenek is like, fuck it, I'm just going to walk through his guard. And that's what he did. He just charged through the guard, forced a wrestling situation, took it to the ground so that he was in the control position for most, for the entire round, not most, the entire fucking round. And then by round two, he's, you know, 75 fights later, Olenek is, is, you know, battle ward. He had one round in him at best. So by the time they get to the second round, poor dude, he's like, fuck, all right. I guess we're doing a second round. Let's do this. This is gonna be the round where he knocks me out. I'm tired. Spent all my energy Wait, in the first. What did you hear? What he did you hear? What he was doing? He was laying down with his legs. That up was in the third. It. That was in the third. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna bring that up because in the second he was still hanging in there, but he was like, "All right, this is gonna be the round where he finishes me." Right. 
And so Spivak got more busy with the hands, but again, nothing was hurting Olenek. And every time Spivak would gain a little momentum in the striking, Olenek would just close the distance and, and like force a wrestling or a clinch situation to just stop that momentum. Yeah. And then all he had to do was just fall. He just fell into guard. And, and that was the rest of the round. Spivak was in the top position, so he got the control time on the cards, on the points, but he wasn't doing anything with it. He was, he was, there was a dude in the worst positions you could be in in these situations for ground and pound, and he lasted four minutes because Spivak couldn't fucking finish. Are you kidding me right now? Jesus, dude. And then by the time, like you said, after the second round, Olenek is like, oh, fuck. Oh, God, we made it through the second. Oh, no. <laughs> he was like laying down with his legs up, like trying to recover like, like an old person. And, and so Dom, like, Dom, Dom Cruz is like, when you fight 80 fights, this is what you do to yeah. the the." <laughs> Catch your breath in between rounds. That's what you got to do, man. He was probably worried. Like, <clears throat> fuck, did I slip a disc? Like, Jesus. Like, Olenek look, looked visibly upset to me that they were in the third round. They were like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Why are we here right now? You should have ended this way, way long ago. You had all the opportunities. You've got youth on your side. What are we doing in the third fucking round of this fight? And Olenek really had nothing left at that point, right? Like, he was barely on his fucking feet. And yet somehow he was still able to, to close distance like later in the round around the three minute mark. He came alive, landed some shots, got in, forced a, a wrestling situation. And the last two minutes was just a jujitsu match that was incredibly fucking boring. Again, Spivak was in the top position, but he wasn't doing anything. So it went the distance and everybody was like, oh, that was embarrassing for Spivak. <laughs> the fact that it reached the third round. And man, you could tell. When they were doing the post-fight interviews, like <laughs> Joe Rogan comes over, he's like, "How do you feel? You feel? You feel? Oh no, I'm sorry, it's Michael Bisping." He's like, "How do you feel? You feel good about that? You feel confident?" And you can see the look on his face. He's like, "Fuck, man! Like, yeah, it was. He was a tough opponent. You know, hard yeah. fight. <laughs> he looks so fucking sad, man. So he knows he fucked up. He knows that was his opportunity to show people that he's a fucking finisher." Against and he like didn't again, finish. a finisher at the lowest possible <laughs> level. Like this is the the bare minimum bar you got to stumble over, and he couldn't even fucking do that. So even though he won, I think he definitely doesn't deserve a fight up because they were talking about uh, he's had run-ins with guys in the higher uh, ranks in the division. He's had a fight with Tabora. He's fought Sakai. So I know they were talking like, oh, you know, if he does really well, maybe we can see like a rematch with one of those guys, maybe give him like Harris or Dawkins, something like that. That's not happening. That's not. There's no fucking way no. that's happening. He's getting like could, a bottom thirties guy. I could. I, I could see him getting more Harris. I could see that because uh, why not? I think Harris would beat his ass. Yeah, Harris would beat his ass. Harris needs a win, right? <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. Well, well you know, you, and well, Miles knows how critical I am of Walt Harris. So. See, it's kind of embarrassing. Now we're talking about Spivak like he's the new Olenek, right? Like we always yeah, are treating Olenek as like the tomato can fighter that's like, all right, you got to get past this guy if you want to get but, to the and he's, somehow, he's Olenek now. <laughs> and somehow he's going to be in the rankings now, in the top 15 now. So embarrassing. That's, 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 the problem. that's the problem with these rankings, man. I do not agree with how they rank these fighters. This guy shouldn't even be 
anywhere within smelling vicinity of the top 20. Top well, they 15. gave him such a big jump. Oh, let me pull the, cause I'm all looking here on MMA rankings and they haven't updated it yet. So it would reflect the rankings before this fight happened. And they're not always a hundred percent. Sometimes they yeah. put rankings in weird spots. I'm like, the fuck is that? But let's see where Spivak was. He was 15 on this. So he was probably a little lower, probably uh high twenties low 15s like maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 to 18 i would say somewhere in there before yeah. this fight right so now that he beat olenic he's going to jump from there into the top 15 spot with like real contenders like 17 is andre arlovsky <laughs> arlovsky had his time he was really fucking good he could he still got some fights in him definitely some like a uh, uh, top 20 bottom 20 fights left in his career not a title contender nowhere close to being a title contender but like that's where that's how like striking the divide is between the 15 yeah. line and everybody else you got guys like andre arlovsky at the upper echelons of that of that divide you know what i mean and now fucking spivak i guess just barely eked across into the 15s but it's like with that performance does he really even deserve that like i think andre arlovsky could beat his ass with Absolutely. that performance like no question i i think the crazy thing was they're doing the announcements of each fighter and they say what style fighter they are they got a Sergey Spivak. <laughs> no, 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 no. For for Sergey Spivak, they go combo. I mean, combat sambo player, and I'm like, really? What? That that's what they said. Combat sambo. No, that's a thing. That's a thing. It, it's. No, no, I know. I know okay. it's a thing. But what did you not see from him? Sambo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> didn't see any fucking so, sambo. <laughs> just look at it. Like, right. yeah, look at. It. Zero for Sarah Zeke takedowns. He didn't do shit on that. The only control time he had was when basically Olenek fell down because he wanted to try and put uh, <laughs> Spivak in a position. He just uh, – Spivak won because Olenek tired out in the first round. Spivak was doing better in the first round, and then he got caught within the, uh, within the grappling and the submission in the last 20, 30 seconds. And that basically lost them the first round because the first yeah. round was BS. Second round, it, like, Olenek was tired second third round. But for some reason, Spivak was slow as shit. He had yeah. no speed to him. He was throwing. And then he did hit him, and he did bloody him up. Uh, and then he starts slowing down again. It was like – It was, was all no, in slow motion. It was like yeah, the whole flight was slow was, motion. But, but because Olenek was already so tired – it made it seem like it was worse. I mean, he was beating him worse than what he was. Yeah. He, he, he was just taking a, taking a prey uh, against a tired opponent. If right. it was somebody else who didn't get tired, he probably would have been finished. But now, he, as far as the cuts go, the reason he cut up Olenek wasn't because of his powerful punches. Yeah. Olenek's older. His skin is saggy. So, like, uh, particularly on yeah. your skull, if you're the skin is normally very taut around your skull, but if it, like, sags then it's not, it doesn't have that same sort of elasticity anymore. And that's why they put Vaseline on fighters. For those you don't know, that's what they're doing is what they're doing is the, the leather that when it connects your face and it pulls yeah. off, it'll, it'll tear your skin. So what they do, they put the Vaseline so that the leather will slide and it won't cut the skin as easily, yeah. but it doesn't even matter if your skin is saggy because it's still going to catch and it's going to tear because it's not taut on your skull anymore. So that's really why Olenek was cut because he's old and his, his skin isn't, you know, as uh, uh what's the term elastic anymore so yeah. it has nothing to do with speed abilities. just FYI. but he <laughs> but he was able to just take advantage of a uh, older fighter 
basically one dimensional. Like every time, every time a Linux threw, it was like a wide, like hammer looping like, punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. loop looping punch. And just praying he connected. And his whole thing was just getting uh, speed back down, and he did half the time. Uh, like it, it says one or two takedowns, but he he tried to do it more than that. He just didn't connect on half of them. And he did have some uh, good attempt, attempts at uh, submissions. I thought he had one at the end of the. It might have been the second. He just didn't have enough time to to, to get him. Like he got in late. If he would have had like ten or twenty seconds, he might have uh, beat me back by submission. Oh, that but, Ezekiel choke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then he got saved by the bell, and then uh, Spivak just took advantage of a, a slow guy. And it gets it gets into the rankings because uh, Linux was in the top fifteen. So somehow he gets in the top fifteen. Don't know how because he has a lot to work on. Maybe he should actually try and use his combat sambo for a change. Does he have it though? Did they just put that on the Wikipedia page? I didn't see shit relating to sambo. <laughs> no, they said it during the fight. They're like combat sambo. I'm like. Where do they get this stuff from? This all this guy does is throw, and he's known for not ha- having knockouts, which he didn't show it in this fight. Yeah, you would never know no. <laughs> if you were going no. based on what you saw here. You're like, wait, that no. guy knocks people out. What? <laughs> yeah, you better go elsewhere. Uh, that, that's it. But uh, I don't know what to see. I, I still think him versus Walt Harris would be good, just so I could see. Uh, Put that you can put that on the prelim because that's what it's best for is the prelim. Yeah. And then for Linux, I hate to say this, I feel like he should be cut now because his past few fights have been nothing spectacular. He's one dimensional now, and and nowadays you got to have two or more skills uh, to compete. And I give it to him for staying this long in the game in the UFC, but like he, he needs to be cut now. So yeah. Yeah. He had a good long, but, he had a good run yeah. longer than most, by the way, 75 fights is nuts. Like to, to clear it, to like contextualize in more in Thailand, they tend to start children uh, fighting in, in ring fights for Muay Thai to make money for the families when they're like in grade school. Yeah. So like, I don't know, mm. fourth grade usually. So by the time they graduate high school over like, what is that? Nine years. No, more than that. Hold on. Eight years. I'm sorry. Eight years. Over eight years, they usually accrue somewhere in the neighborhood of 150, 200 ring fights. But Olenek has not been competing as long as those children. I don't hold on. When was his debut? I can look it up. We need Olenek. Long long ago. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he was so like he was in early uh, UFC days, but like UFC is actually fairly new. I think it's easy to forget that, that UFC is actually kind of a new thing. Um, it hasn't yeah. been around as long as like the boxing leagues. So, like th- those leagues go back into like the 40s. Yeah, like they go, they go way back. But let's see when his debut was. His first fight was, oh, I got to go all the way down. Fucking 75 fight list here. It takes a minute. <laughs> uh, 96. So yeah, he's been in for a minute. But like, man, these these fights just wear on you, you know, because it's it's not just Muay Thai. You got to worry about all the other things, and not just that. The the training camps take it out of you too. So like, the dude's been putting in a ton of work. He doesn't have the same number of fights as like you would in Thailand, but he's put in an equivalent amount of work. So you could argue in some cases more work. Like the guy's had an amazing run. So hats off to him. But 
take your retirement, bro. <laughs> take the L and, and, you know, retire in Florida or some shit. Like, you deserve it at this point. Yeah. But now let's move on to the main event of the evening, which which is a men's bantamweight matchup between Ken Sung Jung, who, a.k.a. Korean Zombie, who defeated Dan Ige by unanimous decision. The Korean Zombie uh, moved to 17-6, and six, whereas Dan Ige fell to 15-4. and four. I'll let you start out, Miles, on this one. This was, this was pretty cool. I liked this fight. Um, I, I think this is a, a classic case of experience wins out over youth. Cause that, that's pretty much what happened here is just Ige. He's, he's good, but he's green. And that's what cost him this fight is the fact that, you know, Korean zombies been in these five round slug fests multiple times. Was this like his seventh five round fight or something like that? Like he's been there, done that, got the t-shirt knows he knows the drill by now, right? Him and his coaches, they are more than prepared for these five round slug fests. And they're like, oh, five rounds. All right, cool. We got a strategy for that. We got a game plan for that, right? Uh, but Dan Ige, let me check his record. I don't think he's been slated for a five round fight before. Or if he has, he's never gone five rounds in his record. I think it, it, he uh, had. Oh, no, Calvin it, Cater. Calvin yeah, Cater. Yeah, Calvin was Cater. Was, That's right. In which he lost that one. Yeah. So again, he's very new to these five round fights. He's had. Uh, two counting this one. So part of that is that the coaches need to learn how to what, like work with the fighter when you've got those two extra critical rounds. And, you know, they just haven't had that exposure that time that comes with experience. No, that's not, you know, Ige's fault. It's just where he's at right now. The thing that, that cost him here was not knowing how to play out that strategy. And we talked about this with the Garbrandt uh, font matchup, right? We were talking about how Garbrandt, kind of didn't play a five round fight. He played a three round fight and that's what cost him because after the second round font just managed him for three and a half rounds and took the decision. It was sort of similar here, except Ige, he came out guns blazing in the first, right? He was throwing heat and Korean zombie. He was relaxed, reserved, finding his measure, finding his distance, finding his timing. Um, and so it looked like he was on the, like on his back foot getting the, the shit end of those exchanges but like he wasn't hurt. He was taking those punches in stride. He was moving the way he needed to move. He had a good defense and he was already as early as the first round, long-term setting up traps for Ige. Like when he would put very, a lot of weight on that front leg and lean forward, drop his guard to get Ige to start investing on those shots, right? He wanted him to commit to those leads, those, those jabs, those crosses to try to get him close for counterattacks, And it kept working for the rest of the fight. Because Ige in the first got a little confident, like, oh, I'm landing. It's working. And then in the second, once Korean Zombie kind of picked up the pace a little bit, once he started working, all of a sudden he wasn't just eating the shots anymore. He was delivering yeah. in turn. And when you go to the second, that's why you see sort of this, this big shift in the Korean Zombie's energy and how much aggression he's bringing very early in the round. Not only that, Ige spent a ton of, of, of fucking energy in the first and like halfway through the second, you could hear him through the microphones of the commentators, like breathing. That's how heavy and loud he was breathing in that fight. Like he burned a ton of energy in that first round and it cost him, man, because really it was, it was, I gave Ige the first and then the rest of the rounds all went, whoops, excuse me to the Korean zombie. And I mean, he just worked him on the feet. 
Because again, he was setting up those those traps to get Ige to fall for it, and he did like every time. And then, of course, there were those big moments in the third and the fourth where the Korean zombie just closed distance, took him to the ground, put him out of his element, worked him from the back. He was trying to go for the finish, but even then, he was getting the control time. Ige was yeah. more or less helpless. And like even the commentators were like, no, 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 you got to rotate to the other side, other hip, other hip. <laughs> and then when he would, Korean zombie's like, oh, okay, and he just <laughs> he just changed. The, the body lock, he just kept switching it so that Ige would never have a chance to get out. And it just shows you how much more experience in that environment he has over Ige. Uh, you know, he just he just carried those last four rounds. No question. Very clear winner here. Um, but yeah, I, I, what's next for these guys? Actually, when I was considering this question, I ended up making matchups for like the entire top 15 of the division so like it's easy to do that so yeah i mean this this is what i see here so from like bottom to top i want to see uh yeah yeah there you go so i want to see shane burgos and sadiq youssef since they're both coming off of losses so that would kind of make sense to pair those guys up don't let them fight up and then give the loser uh, Alex Caceres, give him an opportunity to move up, but not move up a ton, right? It, it's relative 15, to, yeah. yeah, he just moved in, but it's not because he won. I think somebody got knocked off or kicked down. Mm-hmm. Um, then I want to see, oh, this is, this would be a fucking, this would be amazing. Um, Mavasar <laughs> Evla versus Bryce Mitchell, man, talk about some high level grappling right there. That'd be fucking dope. Cause Evla's coming off a win. So he deserves to fight up. Mitchell hasn't fought in a while, but he's a credentialed grappler and they're both undefeated. Man, that'd be, that would be a fucking fight. If you like grappling shit, that's the fight to see right there. Then if you move up a little more, uh, Ooh, this is a good one. Edson Barbosa and Giga Chikadze. Oh, that'd be a fucking firefight right yeah, there. I just gonna, no, I was just going to say I, I had high hopes for my, for my calf kick palooza uh between giga and barbosa but Hell yeah as, as i showed you guys the other day with max holloway pulling out due to injury uh giga giga chabatsie uh was offered the yair rodriguez fight really? to, take, to, to take uh max okay. max holloway's uh, spot and giga said yes and he said, "Now wow. he's just now now he's just rating on Yair Rodriguez's fight uh, camp to, to to respond to that." And he he went even further, calling uh, Yair Rodriguez a pussy uh, oh. because he likes <laughs> because he likes to because he likes to pull out fights yeah. um, like this. He said that he pulled out the Zabit fight five times, yeah. and he said that. I don't care what you do, but I'm waiting. I took the fight, and then he did like a two-minute uh, uh, Twitter live uh, video uh, on it saying, I'm taking this fight, blah, blah, I'm waiting, gig it out. And then uh, and then he posted this thing afterwards. He was like, this guy is going to back out. And then I'm moving on to this guy, this guy, this guy. Like each month he's like, I'm going to do this, this, this. And by like December, he was like, champion. <laughs> wow. Okay, Giga. Yeah, that's gonna have, be how that works. But I, I don't like that matchup. I think that's moving him through too quick because that, here's the thing. Giga is a fucking really good striker. He put down Cub Swanson with a liver kick. Like that's hard yeah. to do. You know what I'm saying? Like Cub Swanson's a durable fucking guy. I think he definitely has a future in this division. But if you shoot him up into the top five right away, 
Like, who the fuck in that top five can he beat realistically? Like, let's be honest here, right? Like, you've got Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, uh, the Korean Zombie, Kelvin Cater. Of those five, I think he's got the best chance at Rodriguez. But, like, you put him in the ring against, like, a Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater's got ground credentials he can't match. Max Holloway's an all-rounder. You know, if he can't stand with the striking, he'll just go to wrestling or grappling. Ortega, dude, next-level grappling, and he's coming back with some really improved striking, so he could at least stand his own with, with Giga. Uh, the Korean Zombie's durable as fuck, so Giga's still new, man. He's not used to those five-round fights. You go up against the Korean Zombie gotta have a five-round game plan if you don't he's just gonna do what he did to Ige so it's like I don't know I think, man I think it's more so he knows the fact that uh, Yair hasn't fought in a couple of years and he's backed out of so many fights uh, maybe he's doing it because he knows that he's not gonna take the fight and he'll back out yeah maybe I don't know uh, but, like here's the thing even if Yair did it did take the fight I think Yair would make the mistake of trying to stand and trade with Giga and that would cost him the fight I think Giga could outstrike Yair uh, not only the time off, but the stylistic differences there are pretty profound. So like, that's yeah. the guy, if he was going to beat someone in the top five, that's the guy he's got the best shot at whether or not he actually takes the fight is a whole separate matter. But I think Edson Barbosa yeah. would be a better developmental fight for him because Edson just, Barbosa presents more I want to see that so bad. I know, I just, right? <laughs> I just want to see a banger, man. Oh my God. You're going to get like, oh, you're going to get like 10 total strikes, but then a hundred <laughs> leg kicks between the both of them. That's what you're going to get. Cause they're, they're going to be like, like, they have like elephantitis in their front legs. They're just like so <laughs> swollen out. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're gonna see it. you're gonna see like Giga's leg throwing it and then you see his bone popping out because he's throwing it so fast and then <laughs> Barbosa throws so fast that he could just like pierce the skin and then you're gonna see Giga still throw that kick right. even if it's wobbly or not and you're gonna be like dude this, this is crazy because they, they're, they're the two guys that have probably the two best leg kicks and it just so happens they're in the yeah. same they're, they're in the same mm. uh division. Right. right there close in uh rankings so like like that's the fight i've, I've been saying that for like a fucking month or two i'm like oh, yeah. i want this mm-hmm. and then and but with uh max holloway and the pole i'm like watch you're gonna get somebody just moving on up challenge a year because they know that he's been backing out a lot of fights and sure thing giga went and yeah, took the bait but he, he called out Max Holloway, which was like, bro, really? You're going to take on Max Holloway? Okay, Giga, calm down. <laughs> like, sit down, son, sit down. So I, maybe it is a PR thing, and he's not really banking on the actual fight. But who knows? Maybe he's just high on his own supply. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But uh, what, do you, what did you think of this fight, uh, Sam? First off, when, I don't know about you, you guys, but when I watched this fight, I saw a different Korean zombie. I saw a Korean zombie that was much more technical, yeah. that picked his spots and was very restrained. It just seemed like to me that Ige couldn't find a rhythm. And the zombie was just, he, he was a different fighter. And he answered that question that if you fight a certain way for so long, can you change up your style? I firmly believe that this Korean zombie could very well shoot for the title. Just, you know, he didn't rush in. He didn't go nuts and try to, I mean, he threw shots. I'm not saying that, but he was much more restrained. He was much more technical. And this is a fun fact. It's been 10 years since the Korean zombie shot for a takedown. And the last time he did it 
was against Dustin Poirier. And yeah, that was his last. This fight was, uh, I don't know, man. It was just beautifully fought by the Korean zombie. Ige, he's lost now two, to two top top five contenders, top ten contenders. Where's Cater at? Is Cater's in the Cater's top Cater's number five right now, yeah. But yeah. at the time they fought, he wasn't uh, that high up. I, don't, I think he was a little bit lower, like maybe six or seven spots. I'm like, yeah. I think, I think this is gut check time for Ige. I think he needs to go back to the drawing board. And as the Korean zombie showed that you can change, I think he can change. He needs to change up a few things. I think his gas tank was uh, a big factor in this. Mm -hmm. And honestly, man, it's going to get interesting in that division. Now that the zombie is fighting the way he is. I mean, mm -hmm. this change to me, this changes things. This changes the whole perspective of the future of this division. Now, the, I mean, oh, yeah. I was just impressed the, the timing that he showed and the fact that he maintained composure throughout the fight. He didn't go nuts. He picked his shots. Beautifully, beautifully fought by the Korean zombie. I was impressed. Yeah, man. I agree. Like, it's in terms of Ige, I was thinking, like, since they're so close together, they're literally one spot apart. Give Josh Emmett and Arnold Allen a fight, and then Ige gets the loser. Calvin Cater gets the winner. Absolutely. That way, like, you know, he's not, he's fighting up a little bit, but it's not such like a, he's not going for a year Rodriguez or anything like that, but it would present enough of a challenge. <clears throat> Either one of those guys would be a challenge for Ige. They present skill sets that he Absolutely. would struggle with given his performance here. So I think that's the next logical developmental fight because if he fights down, I don't know how that really benefits him because you got Barbosa. Well, yeah. He didn't Kaze. go anywhere from that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is like, I think these guys are just, some of these guys are too good. Like Bryce Mitchell choke him the fuck out. Like his, his grappling. If it goes to a grappling match, there's no way Ige lasts a grappling match with fucking Bryce Mitchell. It's not, it's not happening on this planet. Same thing with Evlov. Eve, yeah, Evolov. I'm sorry. Evolov is such a good fucking grappler. Did you see that, that fight? Uh, the, not the Duadu fight, the one before I forget who was fighting. That guy slipped out of like eight, nine guillotine attempts. And some of those were deep. Like most fighters <clears throat> would have tapped deep, but he just fucking slipped right out of there. So like, I don't think he could beat Evlov. Maybe Burgos or Yusef, but I don't know. Yusef is pretty good. Burgos, I think, is just maybe having a tough spot. But Barbosa Jikadze, I think, would kick the shit out of him. So maybe Arnold Allen or, or Josh Emmett is the next. Josh one. Emmett is yeah. a problem. I think Josh Emmett's a real problem. In this we basis. just got to see what, what where he is now that he's coming back from that that major uh, injury that he had after the yeah. after his recent fight. Uh, against uh, yeah Shane Bur Burgers mm -hmm. in which he won that one that hat was like almost fight of the year I think it was ranked number three and then of banger, course he had, yeah and then, <laughs> and then he had to have surgery uh, which which is why he's been out for the past year so I gotta mm -hmm. see where he is because yeah. like he was looking good in that fight and I was like this is a guy that's gonna be a uh, that could be a player if he keeps this look but I got a question uh, for you guys. Do, do you think Ige was surprised by the takedowns because you haven't yes. seen it in so long? Do you think yes, that changed absolutely. things up? Do you think that changed things up game plan wise? Because he's he like, he was surprised period from everything. He was expecting mm -hmm. zombie to rush and go nuts. So like he usually does, he was totally shocked. He, it, once he realized that zombie was setting a different pace, it was a different fighter. I think he was a deer in the headlights is what I think. 
and he just wouldn't expect in what he got. And then, of course, in the first round, Ige went crazy in the first round. And then this is this is why in the in the beginning I I went Korean Zombie over Ige because of what I saw in the Calvin Cater fight. And then before that, I think I think he fought uh, I think he fought Barbosa right before that, which he won by uh, split decision. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then and then he goes into the Cater fight. He loses the, uh, that one because he always he he always looked like he was a step behind. Because of course it's a five round fight and yeah. Cater was bringing it to him. He comes in, and of course at that time Gavin Tucker was ranked fourteen or fifteen, <clears throat> and that that was a twenty second knockout <laughs> in which I thought had Gavin Tucker not been a dumbass and pulled back from the 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 the, the strike and went for the takedown, he might have gotten the knockout because he, he he had the quicker strike. He he just was wasn't committed, and then he took back and went for the uh, for the shoot for the takedown, and then left himself wide open because Ige was thrown just a few seconds uh, slower than Tucker, which right. so that that made it a different outcome. And then of course now you can from the three round back to a five round, and I just don't think that he grasps that change from a three right. to a five round fight. Right. Differently, where you gotta like, you can't just put everything into the first round, knowing that oh, if I get this, say I get a ten eight, <clears throat> or if I get this, I'm better off. I can kind of take the second round off if I want to, then come back in in the third and get it because I had taken the round off. No, you got five rounds. So you do the first round, you still got four rounds, and. And knowing that Korean Zombie had that experience of being in these five round fights, I knew that he was going to have know the pace. Right. I didn't. I didn't think he was going to do the takedowns. I just thought he was going to do it with the striking and then take his time. Mm-hmm. But damn, that that those takedowns just added a whole new level to him. Like it wasn't right. anything crazy. He, he was three for five. It wasn't like 11, 12 takedowns like you see like Marvin Vittoria or something like they do all the time. But, but it's the just fact that, that he even had three of those insane. Yeah, but it's just that added uh, notion that he added something new to his repertoire that yes. people have to now respect mm. a little bit. Like the, well, they so might not. Here's the you thing. Might, like you I've been thinking about your him. question. Yeah. I've been thinking about your question. I kind of disagree actually. I don't think Ige was surprised the fact that he had takedowns. Cause when you look at Korean zombies record, most of his wins are by submission. He's got eight to six to three. So majority wins by, by submission. So like, he's not a stranger to the ground. If you look back at his tape, he's familiar with wrestling and jujitsu and takedowns. Yeah. I think what, what took Ige by surprise was that he wasn't prepared because of how he tried to employ the strategy of, yeah. of that five round fight in particular. I think in his mind, he was like, all right, Korean zombies probably going to try to get me on the ground, you know, for some sort of jujitsu shit or maybe up against the cage, whatever that might be. But I've got, you know, strategies and game plans and I got my gas tank and stuff. I think that's what surprised him is he didn't have that gas tank to employ those defenses. And he was like, fuck, I'm defenseless right now because I got nothing left in the tank. I think that's what took him by surprise because like the record kind of speaks for for itself. Like even when within the UFC, he's got a fair amount of decision victories 
Um, and even before, like before it was mostly, or I'm sorry, submission victories before he entered the UFC, it's almost all submission victories. So like, if you're keeping track of his career, the guy's no stranger to grappling. I think he's just used it less since he's entered the UFC, but it's not, it's like, it's not like he forgot it all. You know what I mean? I think it's just kind of been backburnered. So I think it, maybe it was just him kind of returning to his roots a little bit more and, and, and maybe they, they were prepared for it, but they misjudged one, how Ige was going to execute the game plan, which kind of fucked everything up. And two, the order in which I think maybe a, a Korean zombie was going to employ that grappling. I think that's maybe where they fucked up in the planning stage, but I'm not sure if they didn't plan for it at all. You know what I mean? And he just, he just looked uh, better off. Oh, and yeah. then, yeah, like phenomenal. I, I, I got to see something different from Ige. Because he has the tools, he just uh, goes about it the wrong way. I got to see him do better, at, at, like fight wise in the five round fight before I'm gonna pick him. Uh, th this was pretty easy to me for me to pick. I was like, Crean Zombie. He has the experience, and I've already seen Ige lose the lose that one five round fight that he had because he, did, he does the same thing every fight mm -hmm. and game plan for a three round fight instead. of changing things up for a five-round fight. And for me, I, I, I for Korean Zombie's next fight, I want to see him and Calvin Cater. Absolutely. Three, I mean, three, if Max Holloway's not falling, if Max Holloway's not fighting, I kind of want to see that. Because Max Holloway can stand and bang, same as Korean Zombie, but now we know he's, he's revisiting those grappling roots, which normally <laughs> in a Max Holloway fight, that would be the thing that you're like, oh, fuck, Korean Zombie yeah. is gonna, gonna have some trouble with that, but now, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's a lot closer than, you know, you would have guessed maybe two fights ago, or at least after the yeah. Brian Ortega fight, for sure. I think that yeah. fighter that we just saw uh, last Saturday, the zombie, if he fights and if he is able to set the pace of every fight he's in like he did, I, <laughs> I man, I'm going to tell you, call it an underdog pick. I think he takes Volkanovski. I know that's a bold statement, but I, I'm telling you, he was a completely uh, different fighter. There are definitely I, I areas where I think he could outshine Volkanovski. I agree. I picked him, like uh, Bake said, but I didn't think he would win the way he won. Sure. I was really surprised. See, what's interesting is I think Volkanovski maybe would be too aggressive because what we saw here is that that was Ike in the first round. That played right into Korean Zombie's plan. So he's more technical now. So I think... <clears throat> Depending on how some of these, you know, top rank fighters approach Korean Zombie, they could be kind of playing into his game a little bit. And I think Volkanovski might be one of the guys who's most susceptible to that because at least Max Holloway, he doesn't really do that. That's not really his strategy, not really his game plan. It's what cost him first fight against Volkanovski because he wasn't active enough and those leg kicks added up on him super, super quick. And then he kind of made adjustments in that second fight. So he was better, but... Man, I, I could see Volkanovski kind of charging in there and then and getting becoming caught. susceptible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Catching some of those nasty counters and getting tied up in some nasty grappling situations. So, yeah, and for sure. No, no chiming in. Ortega is Zombie's worst stylistic matchup in the division. I think at the I time when they that. fought, yeah. But, like, now, I think it's it's more... Ortega, I think, is still a better grappler, obviously. But I think it's a mm -hmm. little bit more even now because... In the Ortega fight the first time, he wasn't even thinking of grappling. Like, you could tell the gears were turning. He was like, okay, now I'm striking. Okay, now I'm grappling. Okay, now I'm striking. But this one, that was more, like, blending. It was a lot more seamless to where, like, yeah. 
he could conceivably go back and forth between those skill sets without having to like change tracks all the time. You know what I mean? So, I think he was too, and I think he was too into like the trash talk too. Uh, like they had, a, they, they had a lot of that go. They had a lot of that going on, and then here you didn't really hear much. I think he was more in tune with just training and fighting yeah. and being focused on that, which was a good thing because I think this is a. Uh, since he went away, he, he fought. His last fight was 2013. Came back in 2018, 17, 18. He's fought maybe five times mm-hmm. total since. So I think he's starting to like get into that. Like I know, like you can fight two or three times and then be in, like in the zone. But I think he's like really, really in the zone now. Like I think that Ortega fight might have helped him, yeah, more so than it would have had he won. I think losing was more beneficial now looking back at it than winning because then he he took a step back. What do I need to do? And he made he made improvements and it showed in this fight. And I think it, now he'd be a better matchup for Ortega now than yeah. he was the first time. Yeah, it's interesting because Ortega kind of has a similar story. He was running yeah. on a long winning streak, came up against Max Holloway, and man, he was outclassed. And he was like, fuck, man, that was embarrassing. <laughs> so what did he do? He went back to the drawing board and he come, comes back against Korean Zombie. We're like, holy shit, is that even the same guy? God damn, look at that guy, you know? So I think, yeah, you, sometimes you got to lose in order to really have any significant chance of moving forward. And, you know, that's those are two great examples of kind of that phenomena happening, especially at this, you know, very high level of MMA. Yeah, it's, and it's just like I said before, with like the other fights, on the card, sometimes it's better to move a little slower up the rankings oh, yeah. than getting shot up. And getting like, shot up. Yeah, yeah you, you got like your exceptions. Like, of course, uh, Sarah Gunn shot up like uh, the cannon and has <laughs> rank number three. Or, like, yeah, yeah, but three. that division's light too. Exactly. They don't have a lot yeah, of, I was going to yeah. say. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or guys like uh, Yuri Prokraska who mm-hmm. starts out uh, and he's number two like two now and he's only had two fights in the UFC. Uh, to be fair, your Prochesca is kind of a special case yeah. because you're yeah, Prochesca. He, he has a lot of experience. He's a beast. Here. Well, yeah. he got he got offered a UFC contract years ago, but he turned it down because he's like, no, I want more time to cultivate my skills. That way when I yeah. do enter the UFC, I'm just going to shoot straight to the top and take it. So they've been looking at Prochesca for a long time. This time when they offered him the contract, they offered him like a top five, top 10 fight right away because they knew they were like, dude, this guy's really good. We want this guy to capitalize and make us a bunch of money in these big matchups. So that's why he never started at like the bottom 50 or some shit. He started from a very privileged place. So to be fair, (laughs) I would say Piotr Jan's another good example, right? He didn't start as as privileged of a place. He started maybe thirties, twenties, but like they knew this guy could fucking bang. And so they moved him up quick. He's only had like five, six fights, but the dude, like nobody's disputing Pewter Yawn. Once he gets that rematch with Aljamain Sterling, it's gonna rule that fucking division for a while, man. Yep. That was Ooh. that was just a, a speed bump in his path, man. Yep. Yep. I'm just I'm just waiting for uh, Figurator to make the call to move up so I can have him versus him versus Peter Young. That's that's dope, all I'm waiting man. for. That'd be dope. That's all I'm waiting, that's all I'm waiting <laughs> that would for. be a great fight, man. That'd be a bad I, you know, I gotta go with Jan want... though. That's my guy, man. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I I'm gonna go with Jan, but then I'm like, if I could see Figurator not have to make that big weight cut 
and then to be like set like okay he, he's not making the weight cut now so he's not mm-hmm. uh put all that time and effort into it like he can st- he can stand and bang with uh peter young i just uh, i had to see it first so on my first eyes I don't know if I buy that because here's the thing. Figueredo was a force in the flyweights. Like he fucking dominated that division for a while, yeah, man. Like he, he was, to, holy yeah. shit. But I think the difference now in- is like when he, Brandon Moreno fight one, he apparently was sick. He had a big weight cut in a small short of time. He didn't have any training, this, that, the bunch of different reasons why he said he wasn't, you know, didn't just win the fight outright. Yeah. And we were expecting, okay, man, you got all the things. You got a training camp. You got the time you need to make that weight cut in the way you usually do it. So it's not affecting you as much. You don't have a stomach thing going on. Like you got all the things you usually have. And what do we see in the Brandon Moreno fight? He was off. He was not the usual Brent or the usual Davidson Figueredo we're used to seeing. And I think what happened in that first fight with Brandon Moreno, it broke him down mentally. I think he definitely took that, that draw as a, like a personally as a loss and it kind of fucked him up mentally. And so now I think if he, if he goes to the bantamweight, he's still not just having to like, okay, now I don't have to cut as much weight, but like that loss is going to eat away at his mind. It's going to eat away at his spirit. And so if you cannot be like one foot in one foot out trying to fight a guy like Piotr Jan, like if, yeah. he, if, if Davison Figueredo was all together there, hundred percent mind, spirit, body, all that shit, then yes, that I think he would have a shot at Piotr Jan because man, he, he's powerful. He's fast. He's got all the skill sets. Piotr Jan also has the skill sets. I think Davison Figueredo has enough variation to keep him on his back foot but not the Davison Figueredo we saw in that second Moreno fight. I think if that Davison Figueredo shows up to fight Jan, it's Jan all day, no question. And even if a really good Davison Figueredo shows up, Jan does build steam over the fight. So the longer that fight goes on, the more it favors Jan. And he's very durable, so he could very easily take this to the fourth and then just open up a can of whoop-ass on Figueredo, even on his best day. So it's like, I, I would I still say Jan, but I think I just, he's I, behind the eight ball. I, I would pick Jan, but I, I would just don't know because, like I said, I don't think – I think the big problem with the Figueredo with the second Moreno fight was – he had a rough uh, weight cut, and it was obvious because but he's always of had that weight cut, even when he was yeah. dominating the fly. Always he's always issue. had that weight cut, you know. But but if you watch the weigh-ins and how how he looked weighing in the first time, he comes in, he looks very worried, and then they take him off because he missed the weight, and then he had to come back in an hour or two later as the last guy. He was up there, like doing the work, trying to make it cut. And then you see his reaction when he makes it. It looked like he put a lot of work into just making the cut, which he hit at the exact amount that he had to. It looked like he exerted so much energy into burning that weight that he, like he probably didn't have all that energy in for the fight. And then, of course, on top of that, he didn't expect Marino to be more. Uh, like attacking than he was because Moreno's more of a counter guy where he waits and sits back, which he didn't do. And when you look at it, Figueredo cuts 30 pounds. That's a lot. He's not just a normal guy that cuts one weight class. He cuts two to three weight classes down to fight at flyweight. 
That's so true, just, but some of his best performances, he had the same thing. And like right here, I found this article. Let me show you. It's yeah. talking about the Benavides fights, and he fucking yeah. wrecked Benavides. But he was, they were saying he was struggling to make weight in those fights too. He, the first time he weighed in on, uh, I think it was the first Benavides fight, it was two pounds over. So we had to go yeah. back and do another attempt, still beat the shit out of Den, uh, Benavides. And like those were some of his most dominant Whoa. performances. But this is Whoa, a long he beat running thing with him. Like it's well, always been the case that he's been struggling to make weight. Sometimes he makes it the first time, but sometimes he needs a couple of tries um, because of how big that weight cut is. But before the figure, the second Moreno fight, he just dominated that division regardless. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily where you put all the blame. Well, I think it has to do with him tiring out in fights because he's eh, because he didn't really have to worry about that because he was knocking guys out in the first round. But when you see him in certain fights. Go 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 farther in the rounds. You'd see that he started to get tired. That's mm -hmm. when the the weight cut affects him. And I think staying at a weight like, uh, like he is now, if he move up, I think his uh, his energy wouldn't be that as bad as it is now because he's not trying to cut thirty pounds uh, thirty pounds to get to a certain weight. He'd be maybe cutting ten pounds, and then he not exhort all the energy to do that. So he's fresher for a fight and he can last longer. I would still say it's the mental factor more because I think not only was that, that fight significant because one, wasn't it his, is either his first or his second title defense. I forget. Cause he only just recently gotten the belt, but not only that, this was like his big dick energy power move, right? It's, like it's after, his third title defense. Third title defense. Okay. So after his second title defense against Perez, he immediately turns around and says, Hey, Brandon Figueredo, you want to try to fight for the belt in a few months? Like he just put it on the line. And like the commentator's like, wow, what a fucking badass. Some gangster shit right there. And in his mind, I thought, I think in his mind, he was like, man, I'm so bad. I can fucking do this with no training. Fucking no, no, you know, going home. None of that shit. I'll just kick the shit out of this kid. And the fact that Brandon Moreno not only went the distance, he didn't win the fight. That fucks with him. But Brandon Moreno put up a hell of a fight. Like there were times in there where it looked like he was going to finish Figueredo. And we're not even talking about in the championship rounds. There were some moments in the second and third where it was like, oh, fuck, this might be it, man. Like, like Brandon Moreno came to bang. And I think that fucked with him so bad because it was a title defense. It was a big dick power move and, and it all just backfired on him. And now I think he's questioning like, fuck, man, am I, I'm not as good as I think I am. And that will eat away at your game faster than anything else because it, it affects your training. It affects your performance. And every time you step into the, into the ring, be it the octagon, the amateur leagues, whatever, there's a ton of fucking stress and pressure. And if you've got that eating away at your mind, that just amplifies things to fucking turn that shit up to 11, man. So the minute he steps on the, on the, octagon before they even ring the bell he's behind the eight ball mentally so i think that's the biggest roadblock he has to get past now especially if he's changing weight classes and man those bantamweights they can fucking bang man like setting uh, aside Piotr jan Corey sanhagen and and didn't tj dillashaw's coming back and you got rob font just put on a really awesome performance the, the future champ right that. there the Fuck, future man. champ rob rob font i don't that's know about that, that. that i think Piotr jan's gonna hand him his ass that's your boy <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Rob, I think Rob Font knocks him out. That's what I think. I think hey, Piotr Jan's going to hand him his ass and make a balloon animal out of it, too. I don't think so. <laughs> In the fourth I think, round. I, <laughs> I think he, his style matches up well against Jan. 
I think Yamu were I don't know, man. Do that's, thing, but that's what everybody was saying against Sterling. And I, wasn't that the same thing you were saying with Sterling being like, oh, he's the grappler. He's gonna, but man, he put everybody in their place when he was just yeah, ragdolling. Yeah, but Holy yeah, but shit. Sterling put everything into moving so fast and do this. Throw he in. was rushing, but still, like those throws Peter Jan was throwing, You're not it gonna shows he's skilled. Like that, you can't just do that because of opportunity. You got to have the skill component to make that happen too. Like he doesn't normally do that, and he did that just because he wanted to get ahead on the scorecards. Rob Bond does that every single fight. And right, he but it shows he can, he can game plan to do it, though. Like, yeah. realistically, he hasn't had to. Like, he took the, the title from Jose Aldo, right? Jose yeah. Aldo has been recently more of a standing, banging kind of guy. Like, it, why would he want to do that? Because Jose Aldo's also very credentialed grappler. That's a yeah. fight you don't necessarily want. So standing and banging is definitely a strategy to go with. Jose Aldo's aging out. But Piotr Jan, pound for pound, probably the more powerful dude. Definitely the more powerful dude based on the results of the fight. But I'm saying, like, going into it, what he was thinking. Um, and, I mean, like, a lot of these matchups, it would make more sense to stay on the feet for Piotr Jan. But the, the thing that was interesting about the Star, uh, Aldermaine Sterling fight is people were like, oh, he can't grapple. Oh, this is the biggest weakness in his game. But he showed him, like, no, dude, uh, he can if, grapple. if I need to, yeah. I can game plan for shit. I thought it was just the volume uh, where I thought Sterling would – try and get the volume up because he knew Jan had the power on his back. And I think Sterling tried to, he ramped it up too much he did. and tired himself out. He did. But like, you can't make those throws happen without the skill component. It's not yeah. like he just lucked into those throws. Those were technical fucking throws. Like, wow, dude, he, that was timing, then, distance, engaging. All those things had to come together with the counter opportunity to make it happen. And he had the skill to do it. That's why I think then, if he goes up against a, like a Rob font, he's going to know Rob fonts, a strong wrestler. He's got that, that ground ability. So he's going to game plan for that. And he's got that crazy knockout power, man. Like he can game plan for a Rob font and hand him his ass in the fucking balloon animal I think, elephant. I just think just, just like uh, Cody, uh, Cody, he didn't expect Cody to shoot for him. He shot for him, but he stuffed him pretty well once he knew that it was happening. He's going to expect uh, uh, Peter Jan to do it. I'm not, well, I'm Peter Jan doesn't lead with it, but he has it no. as like, a, I've got that if I need it. And if I need to press when we're in the striking and the clinch situations, I can pull it out whenever I want. Cody Garbrandt yeah. had a good strategy. He laid all his cards out on the table, which historically, Peter Jan doesn't do that. What he does is he builds steam over the fight and he unfolds his strategy the way you're supposed to in a five-round fight. First round, all about feeling out your opponent, getting those reads, starting with your initial strategies that you talked about in your game and your in your fight camp, right? Round two and three, okay, now you're starting to figure out what's working, what's not, and you hopefully you're winning these rounds. By the time you get to the fourth and fifth, you're either doubling down on what's worked and taking the last two, or trying to finish. Or if nothing's working, you're like, "Fuck it, hail mary time, fucking counter offensive, whatever I need to do, to try to finish this guy before it reaches the fifth. That's generally, and that's how Piotrion goes, man. He he unfolds that strategy really, really well, especially for a dude who doesn't have many five-round fights under his belt at the UFC level anyway. Um, he does it very, very well. And as the fight goes on, again, he just gets more and more momentum. And I think that's a huge problem for Rob Font. Well, you well, again, know who else does that? Much, uh, well, you know who else does that? That's Rob Font. He he, he gets going. He does, but, I, but it's different. You, you can't say well, yeah, it's the same, it, though. Come on. It, <laughs> because because he has one 
Because he has one of the best jabs in the division. He's like the Kirkland brand version of no, what I'm talking no, about. When you compare no. him to Piotr Jan, dude, he's the Kirkland brand how version. Can he compare, how can you say, <laughs> compare him to Peter Jan when Peter Jan came out of nowhere to win the title against the aging Aldo, and then his next fight is against Sterling, and it ends the way it did. Well, he was beating the shit out of until that illegal knee. He was winning that fight. There was no question <laughs> he, about that. Dude. He was. He was. He was winning the fight. I think it was. I think at that time it was like two to one him. Yeah, that, it was. Yeah, it was two, oh yeah, it was two. To, it was two to one him. But I think matchup wise, I I really like. Uh, I think that would present the best matchup for Peter Jan because of his height. His uh, basically his height, his reach advantage, the way he throws, the way unlike Sterling, which I think Sterling's going to get his ass kicked uh, the second time, Backstreet. is he knows he knows how to pace himself. He, he's oh. not like, oh, let me go running, try and do volume, fall down five times, fight erratic, and then get tired, and then right. eke out a win because of a legal knee. Right. Like, I, mean, I think it would be an interesting matchup, but I don't think Rob Font's got what it takes to put out uh, Piotr Jan. Like the guy's got, I think, he's I think got he too could, much of a too much of a. I don't, I don't think I, I think he could win by decision easily. I don't know, man. I don't know because like Piotr Jan has a fair amount of decision victories of his own. Yeah. He's actually just as many knockouts, seven and seven. Yeah. So like those were in his early career. Which by the way, he was fighting in like Siberian league, so he was fighting like polar bears in the audience. Like, like he fought in some rough ass Russian leagues coming up, uh, ACB, which there's some dudes in there. There's some names that came out of ACB. So like, he's no stranger to like long drawn out fights, like some real fucking slugfests. He's got, he went two five round fights when he's only had five and seven or no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, six and eight fights in his career. By the time yeah. he had eight fights in his career, he had two five round fights under his belt. One of them a, a decision win, and one of them a, dis- a split decision loss. That was the only loss in his career. So, like the guy, he's yeah, he's new to the UFC, but he is credentialed. He is seasoned. He came up from a very di- like a very competitive, very rough amateur fighting environment, and he's got the skills to prove it. Not only that, he's he's working with some of the best guys on the planet. He's working with Khabib and all those uh, uh, high level grapplers because of how involved Khabib is and all of the Russian MMA stuff going on over there. So he's right now he's over there in Russia getting better. He's getting better than what we saw in the, in the Aljamain Sterling fight. And like, look, I know Rob Font's good, but man, he just doesn't have the access to the I don't kind think of he's resources. Good. I, think he's, I, I think he's great. And I think a lot of people still sleep on him because I, I, and he's, they're fine. Just he's, use... he's a number one guy in the division. Sure. I could see him potentially taking that number one spot. I don't see him beating Piotr Jan. I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> I, I I think he could. I think yeah. I I think Peter Young's a champion, but I think people just put him on. Uh, they put him on John Jones status or something like that, where he he needs to earn it first. Like I mean, he'll get there, I think. But like you're yeah. seeing, I just the we, we a very just, promising career. And then I think the same for Rob Bond. And sure, he just didn't. It, when was the last time you see a guy ranked number four get a title shot uh, right away? Against the guy who lost three straight fights. I mean, Before, then, to be fair, uh, to be fair, matchups tend to have more to do with money and influence than they do like who deserves it. 
uh, case in point, fucking the Vittori fight we just saw. And that was also like Whitaker was like, oh, I want to wait. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, this is the day I want to fight. Who wants to fucking take it? You know what I mean? So like matchups are not always based on who deserves it. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a, yeah. an element of politics and money and, and Dana White gets involved. And also the champion can sometimes just be an asshole. Look at what's happening with like John Jones right now, refusing to fight anybody. Yeah. Well, and it's, the, well, there was hold up. The- there wasn't a champion at that time because Suhudo retired, and it was the it was the fact that they they literally waited until right after at that time Sterling had far I think Moraes mm-hmm. I think it was that should have been the title fight uh, because they were ranked number one and two. Then a week after that fight, they go, oh okay, we're gonna make this Aldo and Jan fight ranked. We got number four ranked Jan against non ranked Aldo because he's making his. Uh, debut in the division after losing three straight fights. We're going to make that the the, the title right. fight. Politics and well, money, right? Yeah. Now, politics. Politics yeah, and money. Exactly. Now, you could argue that Piotr Jan didn't deserve that shot, but he's more than made his statement. He's more than shown he deserves that belt. There's no question on that. I I, I, I don't know. He beat Aldo, and then he... Uriah Faber before that. Yeah, and then well, again, it's not just who he beat; it's how he beat them, right? It's it's not about it's like it's like whatever. When I was a kid, and we had to leave the house, and I was like, "But I want to watch my TV show." My mom's like, "I can tell you who wins. The good guy wins." I was like, "That's not the point, damn it! I want to see how he does it." But that's the difference: is how he beat them. I don't know because in both fights, in both fights, he he took a beat in early. And he then he came back that, and won. Though. Yeah, he always does that. But I shouldn't see him taking a beating from Jose Aldo when Jose Aldo doesn't even look like Jose Aldo. What are you talking anymore? about? You were just suckling on Korean zombies balls for like 20 minutes and he took a beating in the first. It's a strategy. What you're doing is you're learning and you're taking your measure, finding your distance, finding your timing. Yeah, but we, and Pure we've seen, is really good at that. We've seen what, what we know what to expect from Korean zombie though because he's been fighting for over 10 years and then he took a four year layoff because of uh the military we know what what to expect from him and we've seen him add a little bit to it with yeah, but Peter what I'm Young. Saying is that first round skill set is pretty pretty universal like a lot of really yeah. good fighters yeah. do that you'll see them in the but, first and you're like oh man they're getting the shit end of these exchanges and then after that man they they fucking go to work i just think we tend to uh, the add on to peter yon's legacy even though he's only defended the belt once and I want to see more from him before, like that oh, would have been gonna... that would have been a second successful title fence without that knee. Let's be real here, okay. like technically once, but he would have won that fight. But we like we can't just be like, okay. He's going to dominate the vision off of the two fights that he's had where he wasn't dominant in those fights. He barely beat Aldo. He didn't and... barely beat Aldo. Did you see the bloody uh, mess he, he left Aldo in? He, uh, like, he got shit, Aldo man. pretty good. But I agree with what Bake is saying. Yes, I think I'm a I'm a yawn guy, but I think he's still got a lot more to show before he's on that upper echelon of great champions. Now, I will also say he pounded Aldo. That wasn't even a fight. Yeah, but as I don't know, he, saying, he got hit good in the first round, and even in the second round, again. he did recover. He did recover, yeah, but like, like what can you say when he's fighting a guy like Aldo who's already out of his uh, element now because he doesn't even use his best attribute anymore. His leg kicks. kicks. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that still, can- like I said, that first round thing, that's a pretty universal thing you're going to see when you look at yeah. how, how really good fighters, not even just champions, good fighters in general. So, like, <laughs> if that's the only criteria by which you're judging them on, then that puts a lot of fighters into that category of, like, oh, I don't know about this guy. But it's 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 a universal strategy. It's, it's time-tested. There's a reason it works the way it does. But, I mean, again, Piotr Jan... I, like like uh, Sam was saying, I don't disagree that you know he still has a long way to go in his career. He's got a lot of room to grow. But like, think about think about uh, how people were talking about Kamara Usman early in his career. Right? <laughs> oh, this guy he's got no finishing power. Oh, this guy wins by decision. Oh, you know, like like that. His style favors five rounds. But what happened over the, over his career? He's got lots of room to grow. He kept winning. He kept fucking winning. Yeah. And so he had time to develop and grow. And I would argue that from there, from like relative starting points, I would say Piotr Jan's ahead of where Kamara Usman was coming into the UFC skill-wise. I don't know. I don't like know skill-wise, I mean, because, because it's not like even you said, Like you said, he's slow, but you can't expect to always win a fight when you're always down one round to none. Again, and most every, fighters every fight. do that. Most really good fighters do that. Not, not, not of all the champions that I've seen. Not many of them always go Let's down see. one. one Oliveira run. did that in his fight against Chandler. Kamara Usman's notorious for doing that. Uh, Volkanovski uh, comes uh, out guns blazing. He's a little bit different. Uh, hey, Musa, Musa I've seen a lot of that with Yahovich. Adesanya is a big one for that. Adesanya, you saw that shit in the Vittori fight right there. Uh, Francis Ngannou typically comes guns blazing, but like Stipe, who held the belt for a while, he would typically take a slower first round than the rest of his rounds would, though. Like, this is yeah, not, not an every, unknown quantity. Not not every fight, and half the time they would take a, the first round. Half those guys. Well, like if your Peter skill Jan level is always... big enough, you know it doesn't. You don't necessarily lose the first round with that strategy. Piotr Jan's a little bit slower than most, but like it's a time tested <clears throat> strategy, though. Like if you're going to use that as an excuse, then that puts a bunch of these guys in that category yeah. of like, oh, I don't know about these guys and their fucking slow first rounds. You can't expect to win a fight that way. You know what I mean? Oh no, I, I'm not saying that. But when you're going up you against the guys, <laughs> but no, I said with him, he loses every first round every time. Whereas all the other guys, half the time they might, but half the time they do win them the first round. He loses literally every first round and every fight that he does. But then he comes five back. Fights in the UFC, but, he's but got when you lots beat, of room to grow on that. But then when you fight got certain guys. He might get knocked out because he gets started slow. He's just had the the ability to where he fought guys in certain situations where they didn't challenge him the way. Whereas I think Rob Font would challenge him because uh, he's going to get started in the first round. He has the height, he has the length, and he has the jab where he keeps a Peter Yan, who's a smaller guy in the division, at bay. And yes, at Peter Yan is good enough to finish Piotr Yan. You can't just keep him at bay. To- you don't have because to here's the him. thing. Here's the thing, though, about that first round. The more that Rob Font strikes and feeds into that, the more information Piotr Jan has going into the second. So the reason that strategy is so effective, regardless if you win the round or not, or how consistently you win the first round, whatever, it's how good are you at, at, at collecting data using that strategy? Because that information lays out the game plan for the rest of the fight. And the more data you have, the more you have to work on, especially as fight as, as changes in the fight evolve, you're always adding to that database and going, Oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool. This is how I need to adjust. This is the things and I they, need they, to they do. Both, and they He's both great do at that, that well. And, and Piotr Young's better at it, though. That's the thing. I, 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 I think Piotr Young's what, better. Yeah, but what, what makes him better at that when he's only fought two uh, big fights? 
what in makes the UFC. Better? He's got yes. a long career outside of the UFC of like, what is it like 13, 14? Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, around 10 ish fights. Right back, he had a guys. decent, he yeah. had a decent yeah. amateur career before he ever stepped into the UFC. And then when he came in, man, it was, it was kind of a clean sweep. He took out again, you would argue, Oh, he didn't take out like big, big names. You know, he took out Faber, Aldo, uh, Riviera, and then some of these other names I don't know. But again, the, the the strategy he's basically using, is it the perfect version of it? No. Does Rob Fon have the perfect version of it? I would say no. But I would say Piotr Jan probably has is better at collecting that data, even if he takes a beating. But he's also really durable. So it kind of is a wash there. But again, when you go into that second round, if Piotr Jan is armed with more knowledge and he's got all that power, I think that's going to be a huge problem for Rob Font. Yeah, but it's the thing of can he get inside a Font? That's what's the thing because Font's known yeah, for, he can get inside, yeah. <laughs> for, for keeping the distance and his jab is his best uh, weapon and keeping the distance. Just look at Cody Garbrandt. He's good with wrestling. He hasn't done it in a while. He goes and does it, has success, but then he gets stuffed afterwards because Fon's like, okay, he's doing this. Yeah, do but Peter think- wouldn't do that, right? He wouldn't put all the cards out in the first and second round. No. He's never done and, that. And, and then Fon would know that. <laughs> right, but Peter would also know that, right? So they're game planning for each other. The difference yeah. is Peter Yon is an excellent uh, a fighter when it comes to collecting that data in the first, using it as the fight evolves, making those key adjustments, and he's got all the skill sets. So no matter what happens, he's got somewhere to fall back to because he's got the Sambo, which we know Sambo is making its fucking yeah. debut here in the UFC. People are noticing what the fuck Sambo is now. Yeah. But on top of that, he's got all the striking behind him. He's my main criticism of Piotr Jan would be he's got a straight, he's got a boxing background. Whereas in this MMA, like I said before, the better sort of fit for MMA is Muay Thai because it gives you more tools, more options. Yeah. He's developing that. So he's developing his kicks and, you know, the other tools he would use in striking. His punches are still the best and most deadly weapons he's got. But the fact that he's only got some very basic tools and he's got very, like a, a vast array of different ways to use them speaks volumes about what happens when you give him more tools. You know what I'm saying? If he can build a house with like a hammer, a screwdriver, uh, and a, and a fucking, I don't know, tape measure, what's going to happen when you give him a full toolbox? You know what I'm saying? I just, I just have to see him against a guy, like I said, font who doesn't get tired. See a guy. If, if, if he beats him, then, then I'll be like, Peter Jan all day. I just right, cool. like, we'll wait for that. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll it's happen. Happen. we could do a whole show. <laughs> Don't even cover the other fights. I've been sitting yeah. here listening. It's like, holy shit. When this right. fight happens, you guys, <laughs> I'll have to bring my sleeping bag Boom, and go to right. sleep. Jesus. Be like, are you guys done yet? No. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but this will be a multi-part series. Yeah, <laughs> man. You guys can do a trilogy just on this fight. We're talking about trilogy. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, if F- mm. FS1, FS1 wants us to replace Skip Bayless and, and Shannon Sharp, or, oh Jesus, you, you, you know, you know who to call uh, me and me oh, and Miles. So there you go. We'll, we'll fucking but, do this. We got it. Yeah, we're, we're the guys. We're guys. We're the guys to go to. But uh, if you really that, want a fucking show, tell us about uh, uh, pay differences and how the UFC fighters should be paid. Oh fuck, man, <laughs> you'll get a show there. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or, or about or about judging. Uh, that's that's judging. just rapid, right? I'll step it's, in on that one. Judging. It's just, just making like a. One. It's just making a five uh, five episode docu series because that's how it's gonna be. 
per but, per topic per topic right so it's like a 15 20 episode series but uh let's wrap oh, things God. up for tonight uh of course i'll wrap things up with the ufc vegas 29 uh recap show uh once again as always we are a cage my iq the best place for mma content you can follow us on instagram twitter youtube or twitch at the handles to the left uh don't forget to subscribe to the youtube channel uh you can find us uh any platform right now just like i said and uh this week coming up we'll be uh getting ready for ufc vegas 30 which is sarah gone against uh, uh alexander volkov uh, that's going to be a nice uh main yeah, event yeah, uh, be a banger yes banger. <laughs> And then don't forget that after that, there's a week off uh, between that. And then you got UFC uh, uh, 264, I believe it is, uh, between uh, Conor McGregor going up against Dustin Poirier, the, the third fight of the trilogy. So uh, we're likely on, come on next week, and then we'll have the next week off since there oh, won't yeah. be anything. There, I guess we'll have to, to double recap. up on uh, Ultimate Fighter yeah, episodes we'll that week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, uh, that'll wrap things up for tonight. As always, I am D-Bake. This is Miles. And then this is Sam coming back from his hiatus. Yay. And uh, we will talk to you guys later. <laughs> See, See you guys. Have a good one. Thank you for watching this episode of Cage My IQ on the Sports Box. Please remember to follow us on all of our social media outlets. On Facebook, at Sportsbox Show. Twitter, at Sportsbox Show. Instagram, at The Sportsbox Show. Find us on YouTube and join Outside the Box, our Facebook sports discussion group. The Sports Box is brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And also our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free CrowdPlay app today and use promo code THEBOX at sign up for 10 free points. Thank you for joining us.